welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this week, for our very morbid episode, I am joined by my typical partner in crime, MK. Hello. Hey. Wow, that That was really upbeat for this. I tried Um, to be sad. That was the saddest I could be. Wow, whatever you're having, I want some. (laughs) Uh, We're also joined by frequent contributor of masochism, Waldorf. Hello. Hi. And then we have our patron saint of character death, which is our which is our topic for the week, Marilyn. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited. I've been training for so long. <laughs> so hard to come here and share my thoughts and opinions about how all my favorites are dead. <laughs> and because and before we actually get into this and why this week was the week that this was happening, to answer one of the questions that we got before we dive in, Lepagus, the reason you're not on this episode is because if we let you on, all you would do is talk about dead dwarves from the oven. <laughs> <laughs> so since I already inflicted a lot of dead dwarf feelings on people this season, you are foreboding. Good. I'm not sorry. I did it for us all. I appreciate it. (laughs) But the reason we are actually doing the character death episode is because, uh, well, before we go any further, this is a very spoiler-heavy episode for the following series, um, most immediately, The Good Wife Mm -hmm. and Hannibal. And um, Teen Wolf. Season 2, Episode 4, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, and you don't want to be spoiled, check out now. Um, and also for person of interest, oddly enough, and a couple of other things. So, like, be aware that if you keep listening, you're going to get spoiled for right. things. But I think person of interest, Hannibal, and Good Wife are the only shows that are currently, currently running. And Teen Wolf. In the past. Oh, right. Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf also, yes. So yeah. Teen Wolf, person of interest. It's the week for character death. Everyone is dying. Everyone yeah. died this week. At Which the is- time that we're recording. Yeah, basically, it's like as of Tuesday, March 25th at 8.08 p.m., there's like a crazy fucking body count this week. (laughs) You sound so cavalier. I know. Um, Well, the reason what sort of inspired this is I woke up on Monday morning to see that my entire Twitter feed had like lost its collective mind. And it wasn't my normal Finnish people. It was like my nerd journalism follows on twitter and everyone had like lost their collective shit over the good wife which like i love that show it's a great show but it is not a show that people lose their collective shit over that way and it's because as like a completely out of left field no one saw it coming holy crap how did you hide this twist they killed will will graham will graham oh my god Will Graham is still alive on Hannibal. Will Graham is fine. <laughs> Will Graham is wearing Velcro shoes, which is almost a death, really. <laughs> but he's still corporeal. He's still corporeal. He's still on our plane. Yeah. Will Gardner, on the other hand. Wait, what? Yes. Yes, they murdered. Here, here. let's break it down. Basically, he had this client who he was one of the only people who he was defending, and he was um, mentally unbalanced, and basically, during his trial... He basically flipped his shit, managed to get a gun from one of the guards um, in the courtroom, and then shot a whole bunch of people, including Will, and Will died. Yeah. And, and the- so, as far as everyone knows, I think he's dead, and, like, the last shot of the last of the episode was, like, Alicia getting the phone call about it, and then yes. black. But right. so, Will Gardner has bit the dust, 
dun, 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 that's one. Right. The other person who has officially bit the dust, although I feel like there's some people still holding out hope, she's dead. Um, from Hannibal season two, episode four, Beverly Katz has been added to Hannibal's kill list. Right. Um, as far as we know, she he's basically she has been discovered in his creepy basement, like murder kitchen. Yes. Um, and he's discovered her there. And next episode, in the first ten minutes, someone will eat her. I would be surprised if she makes it. Yes. And the actress confirmed that she she is out. And, and, and also Brian Fuller both confirmed yeah. that she's dead. Godspeed. So. Godspeed, Beverly Cats. Yes. So that's two down. Um, and then Teen Wolf. On Teen um, Wolf, who died? That <laughs> died. Allison Argent died, which is really fucking weird. Supposedly, the actress was like, uh, I'm like 29 and I play a 16-year-old and I need to do something else. But, you know, Teen Wolf has a history of letting doomed well, characters walk away and then brutally murdering the women. But so, Allison Argent is dead. That's three. Yep. And then the fourth one is Person of Interest. This one's slightly older, so, like, less of a spoiler, but they killed Joss Carter, um, which is absurd. Yeah, uh, that's ridiculous. She's amazing. She was amazing. She's dead now. She died in John Reese's arms. As if that dude didn't right. have enough problems. Classy. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, like, sort of maybe to start in terms of, like, delving into this. Um, Gender violence? One, one interesting thing, I think, to note about those four, and, like, obviously, they're just sort of, like, what has happened recently, is that two of them, at least, are based on um, the actor's desire to leave the show. So, like, Josh Charles wanted to leave The Good Wife. He wanted to leave in season four. They were like, no, stick around for a bit longer so we can write you up properly. Yeah. And this is ultimately his exit. Um, and it's because the actor didn't want to be there. And also, the same, as you mentioned, with Crystal Reed, she didn't want to be on Team Wolf anymore. And so... Because it's television, there's apparently, like, the easiest way to get someone off a show is to kill them. <laughs> well, I think this is you where, like, to, or... Yes and no. I mean, like, yeah. this is where I think that you need some contextual information about this, right? Yeah. Because I think it's particularly interesting the fact that Teen Wolf killed someone off and the Good Wife killed someone off. Because in terms of quality and thoughtfulness of programming, <laughs> you cannot get away from each other, Yes. Right? So, um, it, it's the exact same motivations. The actors wanted to move on and do other things. Right. So when Josh Charles went to the sh went to the showrunners Robert and Michelle King and said, "Like I want to leave," they said, "Look, let's write you off in a way that is fitting for the show. That we're not going to like cheapen." I think they wrote a letter specifically because they knew that I would freak out <laughs> if that letter was meant for me, not for you guys. That was for me. Um, they knew I would freak out. So the letter they wrote was they specifically make an allusion to we didn't just want to send him to Seattle. And for those of you who are Aww. listening to us from a Tumblr link, you won't know this because you're all babies, but once upon a time there was a show called ER. And when George Clooney, who was Juliana Margulies' love interest in that show, wanted out of his contract, they literally sent Doug to fucking Seattle. And the greatest, most beautifully kept secret where I actually screamed in my living room at that series finale <laughs> was in the very closing minutes of that show where Juliana Margulies' character, Carol, rolls up to some fucking house next to a lake in Seattle and George Clooney was there next to a boat and I screamed and I cried and it was okay. <laughs> Everything else that show had done to me was okay. It was fine that they killed Lucy. It was fine that Anthony Green died of brain tumors. It was fine because Doug come back for like that one second. Yeah. That was the reference and they didn't want to just like get rid of him geographically for some 
sort of contrived reason. And I think the thought behind it makes sense, right? Because these are adult people with means, complex inner lives, and fucking geography alone is not going to keep them away from each other. Like, they've always lived in this whole thing of, like, bad timing. So if you wanted Will and Alicia to have a full break and not to have to have him constantly be referenced again, which I believe could get really tiring, right? Because the Will They Won't Day, weird antagonism thing, was getting sort of old in a weird way. You had to, like, clean it up somehow. And I feel like that was one way to do it. Whereas... For the same reasons, almost, you have Crystal Reed leaving. And for some, and I, like, I didn't watch the episode. I can't really speak to this. But from the reaction of people, like, this was not necessarily just received with, like, the shock and sadness that the Good Life fans are having. But, like, very complex theory. I Mm -hmm. think, like, has anyone actually seen the episode of Teen Wolf? No. No. Okay. Um. (laughs) Please. All I would say is that from what I've managed to glean from the internet fury is that basically she ultimately ended up dying in Scott's arms, even though they weren't dating anymore. And they had this very sort of like Eponine and Marius from Les Mis, like... Oh, you started this early. Right? I know. Well, Eponine is like a very classic character death trope, in my opinion, that um, upon which many are based. Um, but, you know, she's dying in her, yeah. like, you know, and she's like, and they make some sort of peace and like, blah, 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 blah. And so, and for like a character to do that in her last moments about a relationship that was not really like part of her current existence, it seems very sort of like cheaply melodramatic. And, like, trying to shove some, like, you know, romantic angst into it that the show had not earned. Shocking. Well, it was really <laughs> weird. From what I hear, she was barely in this season. Like, at yeah. all. Um, they both say they love each other as she dies in his arms, which is, like, he's already dating a Japanese-Korean kitsune girl. Aw, cute. Yeah, no, she seems awesome. But, like, dude, he's with someone else. Is this really... I, I don't know. You're dying. Whatever. Right. It's a little sad to be like you're dead and you get to die with <laughs> arms and he's moved on and you're like mm-hmm. yeah I think the bigger she moved on too like isn't isn't she like supposed I love how I sort of know this from context isn't she boning some other blandly attractive white guy on that show she was at that point? sort of boning Isaac maybe they hadn't actually boned yet but they were like getting topless together in her bedroom I'm okay with that actually yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, wait, sidebar. Mare, did you see yes. about Danny and his, like, whatever gay werewolf twin that he was going to get with? Uh, I did not hear about that. I did hear that he might have, like, known the whole time, because obviously he's, like, not that dumb. Yeah. Wait, is this one of the alpha twins? Is this one of the alpha twins? Yeah, it is. So, one of the alpha twins is, like, basically, will you go out with me? And Danny's, like, go out with a werewolf? And he's, like, you know I'm a werewolf? And he's, like, uh, it's Beacon Hills. Like, oh my god, this show sounds worse every time I have to hear about it on this podcast. No, I'm, I'm really happy that it's done the whole time. It was stretching, even for Tina, with the bounds of incredulity. He would have to be so stupid and for such a smart character not to figure it out when, like, literally all this dumb shit is going around to him and he's the only one who Not just that, whatever. but they have conversations, like, right next to him in class yeah. where they're like, we have to murder a dude tonight. Oh, oh shit. Dumb. Like, it's um, ridiculous. That's not really the point. I feel like we've gotten, kind of gotten off track. <laughs> Um, Yeah, the point is, with Teen Wolf, the real reason that people are upset is not because Crystal Reed's character is dead or that she wanted to leave the show. She wanted to leave the show cool. The real problem is the way that Jeff Davis treats character death in this show, which is like the horror trope of character death, where you kill off women, you kill off people of of color, but like white men get to go and live another day 
like they could nebulously always come back. Right. Which I don't know. I think that's something to well, talk I think, about. I think there's actually that. been like somebody's done like some awesome fan has done like a very like statistical analysis of like everyone who's died on Teen Wolf and like are they dudes, are they ladies, are they like white dudes? Um and like counted the disproportionate number of like people who have died who have been women and like, you know. Yeah. Shockingly if you actually like take up all the bodies. Shocking. Ladies are the ones who, who get it the most on that show. And like to be honest, lots of shows are. Yeah, no, it's lots of oh. shows, but I mean, it's the kind of thing where, like, Colton Haynes was like, I need to leave the show, uh, I got a role on Arrow, which, I'm not gonna say Arrow is a step up, I watch it, I love it, but, you know, whatever, he was like, I have this other role, I wanna do other things, and they were like, great, we're just gonna have you, like, move to England. Right, well, yeah, I feel like there's there's a thing, and, like, there's, there's a certain cheapness to both of those. Like, when you have, like, sort of a serial television setup, and you have characters that are supposed to be there every week, and, like, every week, you know, you have a problem, and it sort of resets mostly back to where it began. Yeah. And, like, it's very difficult narratively to, like, disturb that and to remove a person from that equation for various, like, outside the, narr- you know, outside factors, outside the narrative of the show, like, meta meta reasons. Um and you can do it where they're, like, they randomly moved to Seattle, they moved to England, mm-hmm. which is, like, cheap, but, like... Relatively yeah. effective. Depending. You know, effective. Like, I don't, no, I don't think like a narrative standpoint, I hate it. Like, I would rather, like... a narrative like, standpoint, it just die. Just everyone dies. No one <laughs> England die. Rocks fall, everyone dies. I don't, I don't necessarily think it has to be cheap. There's a certain level of, like, I don't know, it's transparent, it's not really... I don't know. I've never actually seen it done necessarily in a way where you weren't like you were writing this character off the show and we could tell but then on the other hand like is just like randomly murdering them from some ludicrous reason any better well or, like mean, in the case of the good wife like his this character just snaps and goes on a shooting spree and there's no like narrative build-up to it necessarily like no. you could have not done that like there's no real reason why like you know it's not like somebody has like a tragic flaw and is going to under the rules of like tragedy like be, you know, hoist with their own petard and ultimately suffer the consequences of their, like, actions. Like, that's not the kind of, like, dramatic structure we're talking about, you know? I'm right. But I, I mean, like, from my point of view, from, like, a straight up, just, like, from a strict um, storytelling point of view, the the built-in problem with this is, is that television, especially nowadays, is always an intertextual conversation, right? Like, Crystal Reed could never have just been killed off the show. There was always going to be, did she want to leave the show? She wanted to leave the show. Okay, so you were obviously writing her off the show. So that automatically makes anybody's departure less impactful because you're sitting there thinking, like, oh, X wanted off the show. That's why you were forced into making this particular decision. So if that's the case, someone wants off the show, what are your options, right? You either send them off, but then you have to build an entire narrative around a person who doesn't want to commit to the series anymore to justify their leaving, right? Or you kill them, but you also necess- you also probably want to do it in a way that, like, makes sense. And especially for a show like Teen Wolf, where, like, there is going to be a body count because there's, like, a supernatural horror murder element of it, I think that, yeah, it was a cheap way to go, but it's because it's the easiest one to do it, right? Like, you want off the show? Good. Let's make your death, like, really really painful and like angsty or whatever let's like catapult it to the next episodes and like we'll think back fondly on you like as we continue on this like angst quest of like teen nodding or whatever like and i can't say that this doesn't necessarily work because like as mayor pointed out earlier like the reason that i made waldorf come on this 
because she and I can, like, speak to Supernatural, which is, like, going on ten seasons and has, like, an absurd body count at this point. Oh, uh, right? yeah. And, I, I mean, Supernatural does this all the fucking time, and I feel like people, I mean, there's a, there's a group of people who do get very upset about it because of the perceived, like, sort of gender imbalance of the way that that show handles things. But, like... Overall, like, do the deaths work? Do they not work? Like, I, Waldorf, back me up on this. At this point, the deaths are kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think that the last, like, big death that I got really worked up about was probably Bobby. Yeah. And then he was fucking a ghost, so. I wasn't <laughs> fucking a ghost, he was a ghost. I was gonna say, <laughs> was he fucking a ghost? No, 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 I mean, Bobby. he could have been. He might have been. We don't really know. Like, he was sitting cozy with that hunter ghost lady. Right? He was. Wait, yes. Abby had a ghost romance? He sort of had, like, a brief ghost romance. Oh, yeah, I miss Bobby. Bobby was great. I don't watch that show anymore, but I miss Bobby. I watched, Bobby like, the first three seasons, and I loved Bobby. Yeah. Everyone loves Bobby. So, like, but I, wait, can, can we take a moment, though, to talk about one of my, my top five favorite um, character deaths, char- my favorite are dead character deaths, if that's supernatural. Because <laughs> um, it's a supernatural character. And I should say, like, if you don't know why, who is laughing right now. Um, basically, the inside joke for a long time among me and my fandom friends is that if I love somebody, I'm like Sam Winchester's peen, <laughs> my fandom <laughs> I love you, eventually you're gonna die. <laughs> have sort of unerring ability to, like, predict whoever is going to ultimately bite it in, like, this movie or television show, and I will lump all my affection on them and be, like, you know, gutted when they ultimately bite it. Um, <laughs> and she's still, like, laughing into her wine glass. It's great. Um, and, and one of those was uh, Gabriel from Supernatural, who, who was basically, he was on, like, four episodes. I mean, <laughs> It was four episodes. Yep. Um, and he still actually, like, does a fairly decent, like, part of his life doing, like, cons and shit for this. Mm-hmm. Him and the guy who played, like, um, John. No, John Winchester. Or him and the, the Young like, John buds. Winchester. Young John Winchester, who was on, like, two episodes. Like, six episodes total, and they still, like, do the con circuit for mm-hmm. all of this and, like, have a great time. In whatever. cheerleader outfits. In cheerleader outfits. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my god. Um, our fandom is the best fandom. <laughs> You're the worst. Yeah, he's a recurring character. He's a smart ass. He's like, a, you know, he's like basically just sort of like fucks with people for a few episodes. And then ultimately he gets woven into like the angel plot line and you find out who's the Archangel Gabriel. And then, um, but he's like literally like amoral, has no interest in like the ultimate like moral like fight that's happening, um, the apocalypse that's coming on. Is, like, Until like, fuck the last shit. minute. Until the very last minute. And um, he basically stands up for Team Free Will and gets, um, like, angel shanked for the privilege, <laughs> and he does. Um, now, and that was pretty much, actually, the, the, the beginning of the end for me in terms of watching that show, because I was, I was like, this is, like, one body too much. Like, <laughs> that was your line? That was my line, and that was my line they crossed it. And, like, literally, he was my fave, um... And whatever. So well, see, here's the thing. There, yes. Like this is why. Whenever you say like I'm done with supernatural, I'm like yeah, whatever. Well, here's <laughs> you know, for two very compelling facts. Yes. Number one, no one stays dead on supernatural. Mm. Like Kevin Tran has been dead for ten minutes. I think he's already been back. Right. <laughs> yep, Tran. It's not the same thing. No one is going to stay dead. Eventually, they yes. would come back, and then you have to watch it again. I do have to watch it again. And then the other thing is that because of your particular weird affliction mm-hmm. of bringing love and murder to your favorite characters, <laughs> you, oh, 
the only character you can be with forever is Sam. Yes, he's he my other favorite. Because he keeps dying and keeps coming he back. He keeps coming back like a good bro. Um, <laughs> like a good bro. Bro, he never stays dead. Um, yeah, but like, I don't know. I feel like in, in there, there's a certain like, there's like a trope. And I was talking with Prue about this before we started about how like, I have a general sort of like very contrary like way in which I'm like, oh, you, I like you and I don't like you. Um, and if it's pop, if it's a popular character, I have like no interest in this. And like the random back character who's over here that like nobody likes it's in like one episode is suddenly my favorite person. Yeah. Um, I mean, for example, to give you guys some context, like totally should not have surprised me, but it weirdly did. We were having some recent conversation about the forthcoming like seventh Star Wars movie that is oh, happening. <laughs> me? Yes. Guess who my favorite character in the original Yeah, and I was making some sort of disparaging comment about Luke in comparison to Han. And I just, like, <laughs> heard this, like, quiet sniff being like, Luke is my favorite. And I was like, fucking course You fucking sister kisser like her. Like, yes. of course Luke is your favorite. Yeah, well, I'm trying to say, because I'm, like, the kind of person who likes sort of, like, misguided, like, boring fun, not fun ones, whatever. It seems to go hand in hand <laughs> like ultimately dying <laughs> and I've been trying to like sort of find the formula for, for a long time like who are the general like types of characters that are ultimately gonna bite it and like not why do I gravitate to them because I have no interest in that level of self-introspection like fuck it but um, but like I actually don't think it's like anything like I feel like there's a part of it where it's like you like certain types and they're the yeah. they're the ones well, no. structurally set up to die I was gonna say that's what I was saying like, there's, there's, a, there's a formula like nothing is new under the sun like people have been like people have been dying in fictional narratives for thousands and thousands of years and like there's not no, just like there's not a mystery to, to it. There's not a mystery to it. And like there's certain kind of characters, at least like in terms of modern narrative storytelling, that generally tend to ultimately bite it. And like But this is where I disagree with you. Yes. Because there's certain stories where it makes sense that characters will die and it like, alright, fine, I get it, that like you were setting yourself up for eventual heartbreak. And then there were like shows that come out of fucking left field right. that still kill characters for you, and you're like I didn't even know this was the type of show that killed people. Like, Wait, wasn't that Smash? Yes. Weren't you the one? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> well, thank you for being that one. one. I You're forgot famous. about that. No, because listen, oh. spoil anyone who's actually going to watch Smash. Um, I love that show. And ironically, anyone who likes musical theater should totally watch it. It's fantastic. Um, my favorite character on it, literally. Um, he has a fight with his best friend and he goes walking down the street and he's singing while walking down the street because of, of Smash. And um and then at the end of the episode, uh he's like crossing the street and he looks to the right and like the the lights flare up because they're the headlights of a cab that is about to run him the fuck over and then he dies. And like <laughs> <laughs> and that and that is literally uh, and ultimately it gets woven in where he becomes a sort of pseudo Jonathan Larson Brent figure where he was like struck down in the middle of working on a show that openly has this resonance and so the dress kind of becomes like a sort of tragic like part of it. And like it's super shoddy and very kind of like exploitative and like badly written and dumb. Um, and that one I definitely can't be like I should have known that he was going to die <laughs> because this is, that show is about, just this like, a show about musical theater in Broadway and like literally the worst thing that ever happened to anybody is that like somebody put penis in their smoothie and she had a peanut allergy and she had like she got hives like that is the stakes that you're dealing with or like you know what I mean <laughs> not like you're gonna get motherfucking hit by a cab and like die this um, is why I'm saying 
like you're like some sort of like death moon, right? I like do. you draw the tides of characters to I you. Do. I know, and like I, I take them under my wing, and then I love them, and then I ultimately kill them, like Sam Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hard fate. But like, so that I can, I, that I think is probably like crappy writing. Though I don't know, I don't know. But I feel like here's here's the thing. Like what I was talking about, what we were talking about earlier, there are some sort of like narrative hallmarks of like people who generally are likely to die characters that are set up within the narrative to die yes um and i actually i did i did take notes about this she did take notes guys she actually brought like a crumpled piece of note paper into my home oh my god right so you have like this is this is one of my favorite ones um type number one the oh my god it's a list (laughs) it is a list um the sort of the flawed misguided this actually kind of has its origins more in like classic dramatic structure sweet I, I'll get my hand out of my pants very soon. I, I'm wearing a dress, but um, anyway, the the um the flawed misguided character who yes. um runs sort of like has like friction with the overall general like good guy narrative of mm-hmm. the thing, and then ultimately ends up redeeming himself or herself by dying for the sake of the overall good. This would be Sam Winchester, only it's taking, so far, 14 seasons to go. Yeah, well, like, the the better, more clear example is Boromir and Lord of the Rings. Like, you see Boromir, like, Boromir from the very beginning, and, like, the first Council of the Ring, like, you know that guy. (laughs) He's the one who's like, why the fuck are we doing this? I don't like you. Like, he's the one who, like, disagrees with everybody, and, like, has, like, a certain, has a different perspective on it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that not Sean Bean's character? Sean Bean. Yeah. Is that not the spoiler enough for you? Like, he was played by Sean Bean. I'm talking about 2001 before. Yeah, this was pre-Sean Bean. I every time. Okay? And I saw this this movie in theaters. I had no idea. I never read the books. And I was like, oh my god, Boromir, you're clearly the greatest. Like, (laughs) no one likes you, but I think you're kind of awesome. And I agree with you about some of the shit you're saying because these bitches are cray. And then, um. But he he died. Yeah, and then he ultimately, like, he expresses a lot of ideas that run counter to the overall, like, good guy, bad guy, like, white and black moral schema of the thing, and then ultimately, um, and he's weak, and he has flaws, and he, like, succumbs to them, and then ultimately ends up, um, redeeming himself by sacrificing himself to save Merry and Pippin, and then he dies, and then he and Aragorn have this really sad scene where he ultimately, whatever, like, awful, and he's just crying all over the place, um, and it sort of, it has, again, its origins in, like, dramatic structure where, like, your ultimate, like, tragic character flaw is the thing that ultimately brings you to your ultimate tragic death. Uh-huh. Um, What's type number two? Okay, type number two. You're just, you're trolling me, but it's fine. <laughs> the, uh, the sort of, like, quiet, confident, underappreciated character whose death, and sometimes there's a lot of, like, in my opinion, like, unrequited love that goes along with this. Not always, but sometimes. Oh, so Danny is gonna die. Like, Eponine from Les Mis is a very classic example of this, where she, like, secretly is in love with the main guy who's in love with this other girl, and then, like, does whatever, like, helps him out, and ultimately ends up getting her ass shot for it, and then dies in his arms, and ultimately he, like, realizes kind of how awesome she is, but, like, it's sort of too late. Um... And I think kind of like Coulson from the Avengers movies is like that, where yep. he's like underappreciated, he's like quiet, confident. confident, he's not like a big like dramatic hero part of it, and um, and then ultimately he ends up having like this hero moment and doing something that's sort of beyond his sort of like humble, like humble like trappings of his character. Another classic and- moment where we went into the Avengers movie and there was thinking, <laughs> I'll be fine with anybody dying in this movie other than Coulson. <laughs> we should have fucking known. And we should have already started our hashtags with Colson Lives, just like before that movie came like out. <laughs> who do you love the most? Good. They're dead. Let's 
fix this now. Well, and like, and Joss Whedon and I have a lot of history with this. Me and Joss Whedon do not have a good track record where I can unerringly pick my favorite and of Joss Whedon. Like, Enterprise is always the one who dies. Oh my god. Okay, so Mare also went to see Firefly. Oh, good. All the, oh god. Like, as just, long as I know she doesn't die. I, I know someone's gonna die. I don't care. I just don't want to watch die. And all of my friends who've been spoiled were like, okay. <laughs> options right? or sisters or sisters like or daughters basically if you have like a <laughs> vagina it's probably chilly right now <laughs> it's probably a little cold up in there Ugh. yeah i mean okay so we have a list of really great questions and thoughtful questions people sent us but before we get into that i wanted to ask everyone at our little round table of morbidity today mm-hmm. to name uh, we've all been in fandom a real long time what was your worst character death? Waldorf, we're starting with you. Oh, that's so mean. I'm so excited. Um, it's like therapy think, for me. I love it. <laughs> I think that's the worst character death I ever went through was um, Tosh and Owen mm-hmm. at Torchwood Alley. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That was like, brutal. I forgotten about that. Like, I couldn't, like, that lasted with me for, like, weeks. I would, like, randomly think about it. My friend told me I wasn't allowed to watch that show anymore because I was so upset about it. Like, that was probably the worst that I ever went to, where people stayed dead. You know, like, I was very distraught when Sam and Dean died the first time. But then they came back, so. 
Well, I mean, also, like, I, I have to say that that's not my worst one, but it's up there because if for no other reason, because of Tosh saying, because mm. you're breaking my heart, like, yes. that line, like, lives in a hollow in my heart that just keeps uh, cutting away at me. Well, and, that, and because it was such a moment of, like, they're both dying and they're both talking to each other and, like, you know one of them is going to fade out before and leave the other one alone. And it was, oh, my gosh. No, I will say that, like, that is, like, it was a masterclass in, like, terrible character death sadism. Yeah. 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 The one-two punch that, like, you, you expected maybe one of them to go, but not both of them, and not in that horrible way. And, like, like you knew Owen had to go, but... Yeah. I, like, I uh, I honestly, like, after I had, like, sort of boozily wiped the tears from my face, I was kind of like, when I grow up, I want to be Russell T. Davies. <laughs> I want to, like, yes. have this sort of, like, phenomenal cosmic power <laughs> no. to ruin so many lives in one fell swoop. Ugh. Terrible. It was Terrible. great. That was bad. Godspeed, sir. Well, All right. and, then, and then if you kept watching, you got repaid by Children of Earth, which was also... Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that was great, too. Yeah. It's like getting straight punched in my cervix. All right, MK, next is you. Okay. Worst character death ever. I have two, but don't worry, they'll be short. One is the one I was telling Maribo before we started recording, which is from the Anne McCaffrey Pern books. When I was a kid, I really wanted Master Robinson and Mendeley to get together. And I was unsatisfied. And a person. It's a really old dude and a really young girl. I did not know how big the age difference was, and it didn't really connect in my brain. I just thought he was awesome, and I was like, why is she dating this other dude? Lame. Um, Anyways, there's the first trilogy, and nothing happened, and I was like, this is weird. And then there was a sequel where there's, like, talking dolphins, and in the middle of it, he dies of a heart attack. And I was like, what? And I thought he was like... 40 not like 80 so (laughs) it seemed extra implausible to me and ridiculous um i know that's so dumb (laughs) you've got really pretty hair (laughs) shut up you don't know my pain um the other one is even though you have to see this coming, like, the whole plot of fucking Cowboy Bebop is that, like, <laughs> even though you know it's coming the whole time, like, the whole point of that series is Spike is gonna die fighting that other, is it his brother, that other dude, whatever? Yeah. Um, even though, so my friends and I, we got together, we were gonna finish marathoning Cowboy Bebop, I was in high school, we watched it, the end credits played, and I was just sitting there, like, staring at the TV, and I got up, and I left the room, and I went upstairs, and I started, like, intensely cleaning my bedroom. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, in silence. <laughs> and I was alone up there for, like, 30 minutes before someone came upstairs and was like, are you okay? And I was like, I can't do anything but clean this room until I've processed this. That is, like, the most amazingly Asperger's response to anything in the world. It's just like, Nope. I mean, like, the only way you could have surpassed that is if you, like, started meticulously color-coding beads or something. Like, I literally, like, emptied my desk and was like, how's this gonna work? I have to fix this. Good to know. Good to know. All right, there. You've got so many to choose from. Thank you. I will say there's been a couple of them that have, have been kind of, like, terrible immersive experience that left me like sobbing uncontrollably for 15 minutes until I could actually like get a breath and drive my car and go home safely. Good. Uh, 
One of those was the first Lord of the Rings movie. No, the last Lord of the Rings movie. Yes. Which nobody even really, like, dies terribly. It's just, you know. Yeah, well, there are five there. endings. I wept through every single one. <laughs> and I, and um, also, I saw a special sneak preview screening of Serenity. And when Watch died. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and that was great. And, like, I was sort of okay. You kind of get over it. And then they have a funeral scene where Zoe's wearing the white dress. And, oh. like, she's all, like... You know, I don't know, regal and like clearly like broken inside, even though she's keeping her shit together. And like, I yeah. just sort of like started hysterical machine gun sobbing. And um, <laughs> my sister and all of her friends who I'd been with were like, Are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> I can drive. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I need to, I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> like that. And it was really hilarious. And I was totally fine. But um, ultimately, that one, that one wasn't really good for me. But I have to say, actually, like the ultimate, like, terrible character death that actually, like, put me in a terrible funk for like a solid week after it happened to me. And I think this is a classic one. I'm surprised it's not come up before because it's sort of one of those ultimate um, character deaths uh, in the history of fandom is serious fucking black. And um, from Order of the Phoenix. And let me tell you, and I know that Prue has a lot of feelings about this as well, but um, uh, let me tell you that like my previous, I was in Harry Potter fandom for a while prior to that book coming out and being like a contrary Mary that I am and everyone and their fucking mother liking Remus Sirius, I decided I wasn't really here for that ship. Of course not. I was kind of bored by Remus and like Sirius was just kind what? of shithead. Yes. I'm yes. never feeding you brave no. poor fellow. <laughs> anyway, I said that Remus was kind of boring, not really my favorite. I can't wash your mouth. I didn't like so... Sirius that much because I thought he was just sort of like misguided, fucked up, whatever. And then I decided because I was bored and I essentially fishbowled my way through every single corner of the happened that I went to. Which at that time was like fairly sprawling. Percy like, Neville. Wasn't that No, no, no. Percy Oliver was my OT. Oh, okay. One used to totally tertiary character. With Percy another. Weasley also went through Harry Potter. Characters. Anyway, I was bored and I was like, you know what? I need to find something else to read in this fandom. Um, you know what? Maybe I'm just gonna try to like Sirius Black. You know what? Fine. I'm gonna start reading Sirius Fic and I'm gonna find a way to like Sirius Black and I'm gonna find some random avenue of like liking this character or what it is. And I'm just gonna like deliberately go through and read every single fic, like every single random pairing with him until I find something that clicks for me and then I'm gonna like him. And um and I did this and it worked for um actually Sirius Severus, which is like a super cool. Amazing. My favorite. Um and there's a lot of actually really, really, really dark, fucked up shit for that parent, shocking nobody. Um, and I got really super into this, like, literally read everything. And this was literally, literally two months before Order of the Peace. <laughs> Prior to that, I would have been like, never, I never liked him anyway. And then, like, literally two months before this book came out, I was, like, deliberately made it my business. You start fucking bitch! I He's such a classic, like, misguided, fucked up character who's ultimately going to end up dying because he's just, like, misguided and fucked up and, like, oh, my God. And, um, and then he falls through the fucking curtain. <laughs> and, and I was literally, and I don't actually remember the, the back half of the, what, whatever happened in that book after that. I really don't. And who the fuck cares? Nobody no cares. Point. I got it at a midnight release party. I, it was probably, like, four in the morning or something by the time I managed to get to that point. And I literally just do not have the mental, emotional, spiritual strength to, like, process any of the rest of it. They spent the rest of that entire fucking week just like sitting on like the balcony and or the deck of my mom's house just being like 
Was he like, is a character in a book having problems, Mayor? <laughs> no, because my my dad is not as great as Marge Simpson. I'm sorry. Um, in terms he's of pretty cool, but he's not cool. that he level have of cool. Skill. And like, and here's what I will say. And I think the reason why like Sirius Black continues to be one of like the great sort of watershed character death. He's certainly the watershed character death moment in that series, where like suddenly like the body, like you don't actually think that like the body count is really actually going to happen. And then in that sort of <laughs> moment where she's like, no, I'm actually going to murder everybody. Um, and we're going to start with this one. And I think, like, what's interesting about it is it does have sort of the conversation around that a lot of these character deaths do have. Like, of, what like, was the fucking What point? was the point? Was this stupidly written? Like, why did you do it? And why did you do it in this particular way? Um, and all the ways in which you kind of try to reason with it and make sense of it and, like, be like, you know, or, like, find a way to disprove it because it's so stupid, but then at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter because, because they're still dead. dead. And there's something yeah. sort of bizarrely, like, profound profound about that, even though there shouldn't be. Yeah. No, because no, no. it's literally, like, a fictional dude falling through a fucking curtain. And yeah. Worst death ever. Yeah, and I, and I will say that I know that, like, that was when Prue decided she wasn't going to read them anymore. The book across is... Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. I still have not read books six and seven of the Harry Potter series. Because when I finished book five, <laughs> I, I was like, wait a minute. I read a spoiler that someone had died. But I was speed reading so fast that somehow I had missed this no. absolutely asinine detail of him tripping through a curtain. And just like, oh, okay. That's it then. That's it. I hurled my book across my bedroom, my pink princess furniture bedroom, <laughs> left a dent on my wall that my parents apparently had to fill in with, like, putty or some shit when they were selling the house. And then, like, vowed never to read the book series again. Wait, wait, wait. The best, the best story associated with this is when I was visiting you in the UK, and I had forgotten that you, like, had stopped reading. All the books have come out, by the way. So yeah. long. And you were like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't read anymore after Sirius died, but at least Remus lived, and I made a face. <laughs> and you were like, fuck you! I was like, are you shitting me? And actually, I would argue that Remus' death is even sort of dumber in a lot of ways than Sirius' is. Because, oh, good, because that's yeah. what I was worried about, that it would be dumb enough. Well, it happens off screen, so you don't see it. He's just ultimately, they're like, by the way, Harry Remus died. Good. You know what? And then his wife, and now he's an orphan baby. You know what? That's fine. One, I, I'm sure as J.K. Rowling is sleeping on her piles of money next to the twinks made of money in her house made of money, she's going to feel really bad about pissing me off. Yes. Like, yes. her giant cathedral of money. She is last probably a whole nanosecond of sleep. Over this. <laughs> over how angry I am about this. No, but weirdly, I have to say, that is not my most influential character death. Okay. All of my most influential character death is, like, so obscure, and you have to be, like, not even just Asian, you need to be Chinese to understand why I'm so fucked up the way that I'm fucked up. I was telling the story to Gus, and I was like, anyway, that was the first love story I ever read, and she's like, this explains so much about you. So, the kind of rule with Chinese love stories is that no one is happy, and everyone dies. And that's pretty much the benchmark that you can measure all of them against. And the first, the first long fiction story that I ever got emotionally involved with is a very, very famous story called The Dream of the Red Chamber. 
Now, for those of you who are listening to this podcast and who are, like, shitting yourselves laughing already, it is a sprawling story that is actually a whip. Like, the author died before he finished it, and some other guy picked up... This is why you should never pick up abandoned whips, because then you have people like me. Um, Picked up this abandoned work in progress and finished it, killing the lead character who had been in love with his cousin, who was the other lead character. But he didn't just kill them. These two guys were so in love that the boy refused to marry anyone else. So his family told him that they were finally caving and going to let him marry his cousin, this girl that he was crazy in love with. And so he goes through with the ceremony. And in Chinese weddings, you wear a red drape over your face and it's opaque so you can't see who your fucking bride is (laughs) he gets to his wedding night they get into the room he lifts the the cape over her face it's a different lady he starts screaming runs into the night but it's too late because his cousin who he was in love with and who was sickly has died in the snow under a plum tree having known that he betrayed their love and married someone else and thinking i always knew this was gonna happen good that was the very first love story that i ever read and everybody else in that family either goes crazy dies is sold into prostitution or becomes a monk good. literally that is the end of the story wait i thought of one more oh my god what <laughs> no it's it's gonna explain so much oh god we yeah. weren't allowed to have cats and all i ever wanted when i was a kid was like a cat because i am that lady right um and my mom was like okay fine i'll get you something cat related to like make you happy and she got me this like tiny tiny book of short stories and poems about cats being like oh she'll like this and i open it up and i start reading the first one which is by edgar Allan poe oh no, oh, no. yeah literally about him like brutally murdering this cat okay <laughs> that's the first story in this fucking children's collection of like cute things about cats <laughs> and i just remember like Looking at the book, bawling, throwing it across the room, and like telling my mom I hate her. Nice. <laughs> our, friendship, our friendship was meant to be, okay? Yeah. Um, but the other, the other formative character death in my life is from another ancient Chinese like love story. Of course it is. Called The Butterfly Lovers, um, which is basically a story of this daughter of a very rich family she's like a very wealthy heiress and her mother wants her to get an education but the only way she can get a super competitive one um of the type given to the smartest boys who go through the civil service exams is that she goes to the the university and she can't go as a woman so they dress her up as a man she goes to the university and she falls in love with one of the co-students who is a poor but extremely smart guy and they eventually sort of like are revealed to one another he promises that he's going to take the civil service exam and once he has um once he has a government position he'll come to her family and ask for her hand in marriage he does that but it's too late because some rich fuck has already come and like gotten permission from her family to marry her instead and he dies of a broken heart And as she's being dragged out of her house, kicking and screaming to her wedding, she secures from her mother a promise that the, that 
her wedding palaquin will walk past his grave because she just wants to see this man that she loves one more time. So the wedding palaquin goes past his grave and she's been crying so long that her tears are now blood. Um, <laughs> so her wedding palaquin goes past his grave and she jumps out of it, rips off all of her bright red wedding finery to the pure white, which is what um, Chinese funerals you wear, and starts burning paper cash to like sort of mourn him. <laughs> And, like, fucking dies lying on top of this grave from having cried herself to death. And then their spirits turn into two butterflies, and then they fly away together. <laughs> and there's, like, a very famous, beautiful piece of music called The Butterfly Lovers that's on my iPod. And every time I listen to it, I sort of go, like, <laughs> this is why I am the way I am. You're the worst. I didn't even know people could be in love and happy until, like, I was 20. Like, or someone is going to die in it. Yeah. What leads up to your thinking in terms of, like, should I do this? Why should I do this? How should I do this? Well, it's interesting, like, <clears throat> coming at it from the other side. Right. I mean, there's, I mean, from those two stories that I cited are sort of, like, fables, right? Right. They're, they're constructed in a way where the death is, like, the end result of, like, either moral failings or some sort of, like, life lesson on how the corruption of society prevents true love from actually happening. Whatever. Or, like, some tragic, <clears throat> like, mistiming. Exactly. Kind of thing, um, Juliet style. When I'm writing, like, I, I'm trying to review, like, the stories where I've killed people. Like, I, probably, like, the two I'm most infamous for are... Um, in SGA fandom, I wrote Edges, where I off to John, and I think a lot of people have actually, like, that, along with directional theory, are two stories that people have, like, decided to forget that I wrote, which is fair. Um, so, and then the other one, um, that was fairly infamous in Smallville fandom, I think, is Yellow Means Slow, where I killed Lex. Oh, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good response. Thanks, Walter, if I love you, too. Oh, so that I one fucked me up edges I sort of wanted to I don't I think what's more interesting to me in stories where there is character death like I never put it like in the middle of a big story right like I never I never just like randomly kill someone in the middle of a big story because I think whenever I do write character death my own inclination is to study sort of the aftermath and the effects of it on the people around the character and that's why typically speaking when I do off someone it's for a shortish story you know yellow means slow is like a very it's like the also i was just a weird time in my life um but like it's written in second person i don't know what i was drinking or thinking at that point in my existence but like it was a character study of like how death affects affected clark specifically and how that would have changed the trajectory right of the smallville universe if it would have changed changed the trajectory of the smallville universe edges is similar where i sort of wanted to write the idea of them finally declassifying the Stargate project and John isn't there to see it. And like, does it still matter as much? Does it still make a difference? Like, is there still wonder left in the reveal if the person you wanted to see it with you wasn't there? Right. And there's like a deeper question about how much of this is something that's an energy created between two people or something that you can self-generate. Right. I hate you so much. (laughs) Dang. There are questions like that. And I think, 
another character death is canonical. So this wasn't me was when I wrote the character death in Prescavu. I wanted to write about how in fandom, there's a, a huge deep love and in all fiction, there's a huge deep love of writing the sort of crushing death of a lover, but so many people never consider the loss of a friend. And because that's almost something you never think about, it, to me, it's worse, right? Because a friend is someone you never anticipate losing and you're so much less emotionally prepared for that absence. And to write the way that the universe fractures out because this person, this presence in your life that has permeated you and colored you and shaped your edges is suddenly gone. What does that mean? You know, how does that change you as a person? So like, it's, for me, it's an interesting question in the way that it affects the characters. I don't necessarily know that I typically view it as something that is useful and or interesting to propel a plot forward. Right. I was going to say, because that's interesting sort of in terms of like one shot, like meditations on like mm-hmm. answering the question of like, would this be the same if so-and-so was dead? Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, you know, a larger like plot arc or an action like kind of sort of movie, like yeah. say the Avengers or whatever, does that actually make a difference? Like, do you think you need that kind of thing happening in there or is it ever, or is it always kind of like cheap? I think it, I, I feel like the, I feel like there's a distinction to be made between cheap and real, right? Like, right. because people do change as a result of death. People do, it, it is such a profound right. thing that happens right. that it forces you to stop check yourself before you potentially wreck yourself, look around and be like, is this really what I want to be doing? Like, let's take stock of this situation. And I feel like specifically, like, let's take the Avengers, right? Like, yeah, killing Phil Coulson to bring the Avengers to the table, totally a cheap shot. Was it effective? Yes, absolutely it worked. And your goal is to propel a narrative forward and to give some emotional backbone to it to make it legitimate. It works. Like, is it cheap to kill him for that? Sure. But he's not really dead, so it's fine. Right. Um, we didn't know that at the time. That's yeah, I don't know. That death totally didn't work for me. And usually I'm so easy for a death scene. <laughs> yes, you like, are. But right, like, the littlest thing, you know, gets me going. If anybody is sad, I'm, like, preemptively there with tears. <laughs> that yes. death, I literally sat there with friends who were, like, watching me because they had all seen it already. Oh, they were and waiting. And they are all staring at me, waiting. And I kind of just sat there and went, huh. Have you considered I, the possibility that you have no soul? Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, like, I'm, I'm gonna, do I'm, automatic doors open and close for you? Or? I'm actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Waldorf to a certain extent. Okay. As much as I love that character, and as much as I was angry coming out of that movie because he died, and I specifically did not want him to die, mm-hmm. I do not think his death in the context of the movie and the way that they did it was actually effective. It seemed oh. to me, and I don't mind that he died or got stabbed by Loki. Like that is not my problem with it. My problem was that with it was that the movie tried to make it be like, here's this dude, and you guys are all going to rally around him. Right. Even though the movie did not do enough of sufficient groundwork to actually make that be the thing that propelled them and ultimately drew this disparate group of people together. Right. And also because as an average audience member watching that movie, you're already preemptively sold on them all coming together to fight crime. You don't need to have an extra narrative bump to get you to believe that these people are ultimately going to come together and fight crime. Like, you don't. Yeah. That's what you were signed on for. That's what you're expecting. You don't actually need to, like, have a body in there in order to make you believe that this is going to happen because you were already preemptively there for that happening. 
Right. So it was not necessary. And then what if they didn't, they tried to like make it into something that was more meaningful than it actually was in terms of the movie. Like that has always kind of bothered me. And like, don't get me wrong. I was still depressed as hell that he was dead. <laughs> I just didn't really like the way that he died in the movie and the way the movie tried to make it be something that I didn't feel like it had actually earned. Walter, so what were you Yeah. I mean, it was also really geared towards people who liked Coulson. Yes. And like, I, I mean, he was a fine character and, I mean, he was okay. I never liked him. And the more I saw of him, like, interwoven into all the Marvel movies, it was kind of like, okay, somebody in fandom decided that they really liked him. He's getting a lot of press, so now they're going to put Phil Coulson in every freaking movie. Like, I never had the emotional connection to that character. And so when he died, it was literally like I knew I was going to go and my Twitter feed was going to be going crazy and Tumblr was going to be going crazy. And it, I was just like preemptively tired of this like Coulson craziness. And then they had Asian, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and now he's in my life forever. <laughs> he doesn't have to be. You can like put a Coulson condom on it. But like you really can't. Also a writer, but as you are also a writer, I have to pose the same question that Mayor asked me. How do you approach character death as a writer? Well, I'm not as like, introspective about it as you are. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually think like this also answers our fourth Tumblr, our fourth question of the episode from a Tumblr and on. Yeah, which was, what are your thoughts on major character death and fic, and how does it impact, oh, we'll get to the second part later. Yeah. But, um, sorry, uh, Waldorf, continue. Oh, I was just going to say, um, generally, when I write character death, I am either trying to make somebody cry, usually scream with <laughs> Um, or she deserves it though. <laughs> she really, really does. Um, or it's just like you said, kind of a study on it. You know, like uh, I was writing a lot, a lot of Star Trek fic for a really long time, and one of the questions I couldn't ever kind of get around was, I knew how Jim would respond if Spock was dead, but I didn't really know how Spock would react if Jim was dead. And so I wrote character death to kind of get myself around that particular uh, query in the characterization issue that I had with, with that pairing. Um, so I was trying to kind of work through it. I also like to write about characters who are going to die anyway, who have already died in canon, especially the ladies, um, because I feel like their stories don't ever get told. And so I'm interested in telling their stories and reading about their stories and I want to make you like them, even if inevitably I'm going to kill them at the end of the story. Very important. Yeah. Um, so then this flips to, and Mara alluded to it, this, this conversation leads us neatly into the questions that we got. Um, the second part of one of our Tumblr anonymous questions was, how does, it, how does character death um, in, fic. in fic impact your desire to read the fic um, if the death is canon compliant or not? Um... That is interesting. I will say, um, being someone who has read a lot, who read a lot of dead Coulson fic after yes. the Avengers, before Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., before we knew that he was actually coming back. Yes. Like, that I have to say is like a really interesting, like, fandom reaction in general that I think one of the other questions also touches on that we got um, in terms of fandom, like, sheer transcendent deniability of, like, this yep. did not happen. But, um, but one of the things actually in terms of, like, Coulson fic is that there actually was a lot of fic that went into how his death 
impacted um, a lot of the people he worked with, most specifically like Natasha and Clint, whose yeah. like working relationship with him you find to presume was closer than anyone else in that movie. Mm-hmm. And then also you didn't see anything of in the movie. So like in terms of the MCU, you just don't know anything about in terms of how those two would have handled it, like independently and together. Um, in terms of like her bizarre murder twin coping mechanisms, quote unquote coping <laughs> mechanisms. Um, so there's actually like a very lot, there's a lot of like canon compliant dead Colson fic that happened in the wake of the Avengers. Yep. That is like, most of it is just like really fucking sad. And like, I read literally every single one of them. She really <laughs> has guys. Every single one like, of them. If, like, wrote one and you're thinking, no one read it. She read I it. I totally read all of them. I don't care. Like, literally, probably like that entire summer after what, 2000, how long has it even fucking been? Um, literally read every single one of like the, the really sad Colson is dead fic. Um, and like, Clinton and Natasha are like trying to figure out what to do with themselves after and like be on a team, but without their like, you know deadpan awesome leader to keep them in line and um with various degrees of like romantic whatever the heck that you want to sprinkle in there on on anybody's side but um and because it was canon compliant it didn't like you sort of know what you sign up for yeah and like I think that it didn't and it was weirdly kind of like kind of therapeutic for me because the way that I felt like the film did his death didn't actually ring true to me in terms of how I felt like various characters in that would have reacted. Yeah. So reading fandom trying to actually like make it worse in a way that made sense to me was like better. Yeah. I I feel like there are different types of canon compliant death things, right? Like there are stories that sort of try to logic it out. Which, if you're reading that, you sort of know where you're getting into and you're looking for some... It's not that you're, like, trying to deny the death. You're just looking for some sort of, like, sense in it, right? And then there's the stories that are just like, fuck this noise, and just, like, we're going to write right around it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, great examples of this are obviously, like, the Avengers fandom that noped Coulson back into life. And then there's, like, the famous one that, like, it didn't work, but we tried real hard, Phantom Menace, where we were just like, what? You said, why I'm dead? Fuck you guys. Flip this table. We're not going to well, go I, with I that. In Harry Potter fandom, I actually tried to nope serious back, and they never and managed it just to, didn't work. to do that either. It didn't work well yeah. enough. Like, that fucking curtain was not messing around. She <laughs> would think with such limited canon, it happens, like, literally in the space of two years. Nope. Like, literally, you're not going to get anything to contradict him maybe coming back from the dead. Like, for a long time. But I, feel like, I feel like if Draco had died, like, you guys would have been able to, like, know yes. him back into life, but, <laughs> like, not serious. Like, no. Not serious. Like, we didn't have the power. I was already, I was like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. Right. So, <laughs> you were, you were, like, at Etsy. But, um, yeah, but, but I think there's also, like, besides that, in, like, non-canon compliant stuff, there is a particular type of fic where you have, like, your OTP of your fandom, and the entire fake is based around one of them being dead or dying. Which pleases me. And then the other person trying to deal with it and then cope in the aftermath. And see, freedom is just another uh, word for having is, nothing to lose. Which is maybe like one of the best ones in terms of this genre that has ever That's happened. That's from SGA. If you guys want to cry, go fake. for it. Yes. Uh, if, you, if you don't know it, you can Google that phrase and I'm sure it'll pop up. Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> It's oh, it's sweet. so good. You have to go to work tomorrow. No, no. Do it. But that's really such a dick, Waldorf. <laughs> no, but, but like, and, and that's the thing where, like, you pretty much know exactly what you're getting. There's no spoilers. It's not like somebody's, somebody died. Like, the whole setup is that character X has died and character Y is, like, trying to do something else with their lives yeah. or, like, trying to cope with it or, like, bring them back futilely or, like, find them even though they're gone forever and, like, and they don't do it and they just kind of have to go. And it's this weird sort of thing where, like, the the romantic angst in me kind of enjoys, like, 
the the proof of this love being this like the never ending sadness that it leaves behind when it's over. Like you're the worst. So much. That, like, All of you are the worst. So fucked up and sad after like this person is dead because Waldorf is like fucking touching herself much. right now. <laughs> There's a certain bizarre like reverse. I don't know like like beauty to that. But yes. I will say that that's and like and I, I I read those occasionally. I have to be in the mood for them. And that is like a grief porn. Though. It is, it is. It kind but of it's is. so good. Yeah. And like I'm not gonna say that I read that all the time, but like there's a certain thing where like if I'm in the mood and I do them and I like I lock into that one, like I will happily like cry my way through twenty K and that shit and just be like <laughs> Okay, so then I'm turning the question to Walter. Yes. Why does that work for you? Like why is that an attractive proposition to read? I don't know. Uh, um I just like it. I like to be miserable. I, I genuinely have no idea why it works, but I have them saved in my pin board. And I went through before we did this podcast, like looking to see how many of them I have. I have them from, I have a lot of them. <laughs> how, how many fandoms do you have them in? How many? A lot. I want you to go to your pin board right now and tell me some examples. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I have them nice. in like, Inception, SGA, Smallville. Uh, that one is. Did I say Supernatural yet? I have a lot of them in Supernatural. Um, and they're not all the same kind of thing. Like some of them are like the character has already died, and the other character is trying to get over it. Some of them are like I had a lot of them that are about um. Dean and Sam after Mary died, especially Dean, because, you know, our love for Dean is true. Yes. Um, right. But I have a lot of, like, dealing with that grief because it's never touched on really in the show. Like, she's such a driving force, but you never actually get to see what that meant in practical terms. Um, I have a lot of that. I have an SGA one. Oh, that one's where Rodney blows up a wraith ship with them on it. Yeah, oh, yeah, I have a lot of death fix. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I read that one. What the fuck okay. does that exist? It's really short. It's only like five hundred. Whoever wrote that, you're a monster. Okay, it's no. So good. You're so good. I love you so much. <laughs> I let like one of them live, which is probably worse. That's actually. the whole point. Is that one of them lives? It's not actually like a quality like character death pick unless you get the aftermath of like some <laughs> oh my God. In the, in the Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And I don't know why that works so well. It's like, but it's the same. It kind of pushes like the same button as being really miserable watching my love from another star. And like every time something went wrong, like it's awful when it goes wrong, but you're still like, I'm going to keep on watching this. I'm going to keep pressing this bruise. It's just another bruise. I I think there's sort of a, a weird heightened level of emotion that goes along with it where like, there's a happy ending and everyone's happy that proves that like these two are like meant to be together. And then there's the unhappy ending where one of them is dead and the other one is like miserable as fuck that proves how much they were meant to be together. But the universe is fundamentally unjust. Like, yeah. So, okay. You've been really quiet. And I suspect, are you like, am I remembering this correctly? Cause I know that you and I like live on the opposite ends of thick reading spectrum. I don't, th- I don't think this but is do you, Like, do you read that thick or are you that person who's like, you should tag for it so I never have to read it? I am that second person. Okay. Um, I think there are like two acceptable kinds of character death in fic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're real happy about this. Um, one is 
I'm okay with reading it if it's something like, you know that it's a canon-compliant minor character or a character that we, like, never saw, but you know is dead, is referenced, but not, like, overly referenced in the story. character death, okay. That is, I'm like, you better tag for that shit, and I'll make the decision of whether or not I can read this. <laughs> Listen, if there's character death, I'm going, like, the Asperger's is strong in me. I'm just going to wind up cleaning my entire apartment really intensely. Like, I can't handle it. Okay, well, what's the other kind? The other kind is the kind that I write, which is, um, generally, if I write any character death, it's like, you know what? I thought that this character shouldn't have died and this one should have, which basically is killing a villain, which I barely consider character death. So I will kill a villain instead of someone that I would like to see alive, and then I like to, like, play out the life of the character who I think should have lived. And, so like, what's an example of this? I think I'm just confused by the premise. Or, like, if, if you have, like, something, like, where a character dies as a result of, like, the bad, and then you're like, well, what if the bad died and this character lived? Yeah, so essentially I wrote in, in my Girl Styles story... Uh, it opens with them finding Kate Argent's body in the woods instead of Laura Hale. Okay. And Laura okay. Hale gets to be alive and, like, help fight crime, etc. Right. Gotcha. So you get to do a character study of someone who died in canon, but in this case didn't. Okay, but in this case, like, I think we know MK's answer to this, like, that you will avoid reading character death stories, but does it, like attract you or drive you away like it doesn't make a damn bit of difference for me like seriously it's like an instant i'm not reading that no i mean there are maybe like four things that i you know what i don't know that i have anything that will say like i'm not reading that unless you're like a shitty writer which is nothing people tag for (laughs) there's like a bunch of stuff that you've written that i will never read good (laughs) i will say here's here's something i would say though i think there's there's a difference between like Fic that is purportedly like the kind that you were talking about and like what Waldorf and I were talking about, that basically the death is the entire setup of the story and yeah. explores the question of how the people who are left behind manage to cope with and deal with this person dying. Um, and that's the whole point and that's what you sign on for. And like that is the start of the premise and then at the end of the premise, whatever you get at the end of it. Yeah. Like that is what it is. But if you were to read, if I were, but I, and I, I totally will read those. What I'm not really as big a fan of are the kind that actually play out more like how a television show or a movie would, where you have, like, a plot and an arc and things are happening, and then somebody, like, minor or major character ends up dying as a result of, like, the conflict or the action that happens, and then it becomes part of the, you know what I mean? Like, that is not the kind of thing that I like to read in my fic. Right. Like, either death for the point of death, or, like, I don't know. I, I feel you like, know what I mean? Like, no, that no, is no, not I, the kind of experience that I expect in my fic, the way that I would look for in a traditional, like, movie or television show or book. I get that. I mean, like, I think that fic so often lives in a very rarefied world where it's pure id. Yeah. It's the same way that, like, romance novels operate. Like, I never, ever, ever want to open a Lisa Kleypas novel where, like, the person that I want to be, like, bone zoning a lady, like, dies, and I have to, like, somehow, <laughs> That's not what like, reconcile that universe. Like, but I, I also, but I read fic, like, differently slightly, right? Like, I have a whole set of, like, stories that are just, like, pure fucking id. But then there's, like, other types of stories where I will, like, because I feel like there are a lot of very experimental, interesting, courageous writers that operate in fandom, and there are people who will write things that, like, absolutely gut me, and I will be there and be square. Okay, wait, but here, here is a thing. I yes. was reading a story earlier this, this year. Okay. And I was like, I'm not, this is probably not a good story, but I'm going to keep reading it, whatever. 
I was in that place. And halfway through. Nice. Halfway through. Nice. Styles' mom, who is in the like hospital dying. Yeah. Tricks like young, young Styles, who's like six or something, into repeatedly pressing the morphine button and like overriding it until she dies of an overdose because she's in so much pain. Oh, that's dark as fuck. I love it. I was like, fuck you! <laughs> fuck you! Just like, out! Done! No! That's amazing. I like that a lot, actually. You know what else yeah. another kind of, like, that kind of thing that I love is when there is a canning character death? Like, Coulson, this is another random awesome flavor of Coulson fic, would be, like, a romantic fic where that happens prior to the events of canon. Yeah. And it shows, like, the dead, the shoot-to-be-dead character and character Y getting together, and then, like, the last scene of it is sort of the setup that makes sh- yes. signals at the beginning of the canon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm into this. I'm, like, so Absolutely. Well, I have to go to New Mexico to, like, watch, you know, whatever the fuck, so I'll see you there. And then you know that the events of the Avengers are going to happen, and ultimately he's going to die. Only the two characters don't know that, but the ultimate romantic conclusion is, like, and then they're going to end, like, you know, terrible shit. And then everything is off. Yes. Pan is going to step in, and then y'all going to be fucked. I view, I view that as, like, grief porn. Like, I sometimes know. I will genuinely, like, and don't lie, everyone has done this, will be like, I'm in a fucking terrible mood. I really need to cry it out. Yes. And I can't, like, my robot is malfunctioning, and I need to, like, make this robot create tears, so the only way I can do it is by, like, going to fandom and be like, alright, guys, fucking make me cry. And sometimes, like, you will go through pinboard and be like, okay, does this look like grief porn? Not grief enough. Let's keep going. I'm like, find a story that makes you cry. Sometimes you really want that. And I don't know that, I don't know that you necessarily have, like, a deeper subconscious desire beyond, like, I just really want to cry it out today, guys. I think that is just as much a valid, like, single porn thing as As happy, warm, fuzzy feelings or whatever sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, but you know the danger of grief porn is? Because I went through this after Sherlock, I don't know, the one where he jumps off the building. I read I so much. Yeah, but, like, two. Season two? Was that what it was? Two. Yeah. 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 So I read so much Sherlock is actually dead fic. Oh, sick. And it was all so good. Yeah. That I couldn't watch series twice. I, like, I started to do it, and I was like, no, I like I liked the headcanon better. No, I like him better dead. What kind of monster are you? <laughs> I actually enjoy that Phantom, like, murdered him too much for him to ever come back in your head. <laughs> yeah, they really did. It was so good. And, yeah, I just couldn't. I was like, nope, this is wrong. You're all wrong. Nope, nope, nope. And I couldn't watch it. <laughs> I, That's amazing. But, like, from a thick point, I'm going to drop this little piece of knowledge out there and just let it just let it percolate with some people. From, like, a thick writer's POV. Um, there is one of my stories, and I will never articulate which one, because I will get murdered to death, where in my head, the ultimate conclusion of the canon of that story is that the lead character that everyone lost to pieces dies. Like, that's the only way that that story ends in my head, and I will never write it, because even though that's, like, how it ends, that's the truth in my reading, I can't do it, because, like... Someone will find me and rightfully throw, like, a bucket of garbage over my head. Like, I honestly. know what you're talking about because you've told me, and I still hate you in my head for just yeah. telling me about it. Yeah, I told Yin about it, and she literally burst into tears in my apartment. Like, Mara's already trying to guess. And I will, and I'm just like, I can't tell people because, like, it's so awful. And I feel like there is, I mean, to some extent, when you 
when you write about death, you have to have like some measure of restraint, right? Like if it's just pure, like if all you want is to make people cry, like, all right, fine, go, go be Joss Whedon. But (laughs) at some point I think that like, I cannot pull that particular trigger because I like, I, I'm not mean enough to do it. Okay. Wait, now this brings up a thing that I really wanted to talk about, which is, I mean, obviously we all see a parallel between the way that we experience character death in the canon and in our fandom. Yeah. But okay. So there's a problem that I have this year, which is last year while they were filming the current season of Rizzolian Isles, the actor who plays Detective Frost killed himself. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. And I know that they have to write him off the show in some way because he's dead. And I'm terrified of the way they're going to handle it because I don't trust them to do it properly or to, like, make me feel enough or to, like, do him justice. Or it's all I think about every time a new episode comes out. I don't know when it's going to happen to me. I just know that it's coming and it's, like, awful. Yeah, but I also feel like in that particular instance, you have to recognize that, like, they may or may not ever be able to satisfy what you want out of that, right? No, I know. You probably want something very specific out of it. I'm just, like, it's, it's weird because this is one of those actual intersections of, it's not just character death, it's the death of the actor. That's true. I mean, there there have been a couple of other shows well, that had to deal with that. They didn't necessarily handle it well. Well, no, and I, I think with that, it becomes sort of even more fraught because you don't have, like, a character death on a show which could be, like, ring true or it could feel cheap or it could feel, like, stupid. Well, like, but Lee is but no, the yeah, but the way, major but any, example Right, but anyway, you do it because it's going to be so tied up with the actual real-life death of an actual fucking non-fictional human being. Yeah. Like, you have to treat it extra special carefully and it almost becomes impossible to do it in a way that is not weirdly exploitative of the character of the actor's death um in terms of trying to solicit solicit audience emotion for this real life death via like their fictional character also having to die in like sort of a cheap like way yeah. i don't know it's hard and like glee i don't think i mean glee yeah <laughs> <laughs> having seen i actually did see the episode where they um, said goodbye to Cory Monteith, and like it's it was terrible. better or worse than like anything Glee does normally, to be honest. But like even more awful because it actually was like a real life fucking person who was dead. So I don't know. Yeah. And they actually didn't even answer the question. Actually, it was kind of hilarious. Like in the show, I don't know if anyone's ever seen it, but like it was terrible. They, everyone just finds out that he's died. They managed to do the entire episode without ever articulating why he died or what he died from. No, they come out at the beginning in the monologue and they say, "We're not going to tell you why, like how he died." Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. 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 Never find out why he died. He just no. The the stepbrother does like a monologue saying everybody wants to focus on how, but I want to focus on you know what his legacy was or whatever. It was so infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds not good. And it's not yeah. necessarily like they would have done it better if they had actually told you. Like, who the fuck? It was always going to be a terrible shit show, basically. But, like, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, but there was a certain level of, like, awfulness to it that would surpass, like, your average level of, like, you shouldn't have killed this person off because it was actually, like, you know, a real-life human being. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So now that we're like fully seated in the questions, let me throw another one out there. Um, this one is from Karen, aka Nitwit1912. Are there any shows slash fandoms you rage quit or refuse to acknowledge after a certain point due to a character death? Um, she cites 24 after season seven. Um, 
And I mean, we talked a little bit about this. Like, I will never finish reading the Harry Potter series. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck your money. Fuck your money, twinks. Fuck your money forever. I'm so angry. <laughs> fuck your turn. Right. <laughs> um, I will say, like, the, I also, like, talked about this earlier um, with uh, Supernatural Gabriel. Like, Gabriel was pretty much it. And, like, it's not like millions of people didn't die before that and millions of people didn't die after that in Supernatural. But, but that was, he was your breaking. But I, that, for some reason, was the one where I was like, I can't keep watching this show anymore. <laughs> okay. Good. I need to get Bye. do something else okay <laughs> um it's not a show so this is kind of weird because i mean i don't watch a lot of stuff that would have that much character death in it because i think you by now fully understand my stance on character death yes um but when i first started watching miyazaki movies <laughs> i think you know where i'm going with this uh somebody across the hall from me in residence was like you know what you would really like Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> if you like Miyazaki, you will love Grave of the Fireflies. I think it's okay. his best movie what ever. Is, what is that? Just, okay. Grave of the Fireflies is arguably the most upsetting thing I've ever watched in my life. It is literally about two kids starving to death during World War II. Okay. And not just starving to death, but in, like, the worst, like, literally the it's, end. It's basically an older brother trying to protect his younger brother. His sister. Oh, sorry. I always get that wrong. An older brother trying to protect his younger sibling, and then both starve to death. Well, right? the best part is, like, near the end, he manages to get his sister to a doctor and is like, help, my sister is dying. Like, I just, I need something. And the doctor's like, oh, yeah, it's malnutrition. She's starving to death. And he's like, right, do you have food, like, for my, for my dying sister? And he's like, no, <laughs> see you never. And then they, like, die in a ditch after he gets her food, and she's, like, holding the food when she dies of malnutrition. And, and they're fireflies! And they're fireflies everywhere! It's beautiful! No, I was just, like, crying, and I think we, we vandalized that dude's room after that, maybe quite aggressively. It's truly one Like, if, if all you've seen of Miyazaki is, like, Spirited Away, or Ponyo, or Totoro, do not watch Grave of the Fireflies. You do not know what you're getting yourself into. I kind of feel like nobody should ever watch Crave of the Fireflies. I'm like, why did you even make this? Like, were you soul bonding with Prue that day? Like, what the fuck happened to you? That's <laughs> not me. I've never murdered a child. <laughs> you know what that actually kind of reminds me of? Um, the children's book classic, Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, another one. That's great. Which, which to this day, I was reading it and really enjoying it. And then somehow managed to find out halfway through my reading of it that she dies at the end of it and literally was like, nope, and I've never finished that book ever. The greatest 20 years <laughs> later, still have never finished the that book. The greatest thing you. about that book, right, is you guys may or may not and have I noticed. And totally, I totally blissed out. I was like, nope, I can't do that. No, that was a smart decision. <laughs> you guys may or may not have noticed this because this movie really, like, flew under the radar, but they made a film. They did. Rich to Terabithia. Josh Hutcherson and, um, what is her name? I totally didn't know this because yeah. I was like, as soon as I saw the words Terabithia, I was like, fuck it, no, I'm not doing this again. Like, I remember fifth grade. This was, like, the same week I read The Giver. And someone was like, oh, And I was like, why don't you give me Old Yeller, too? Why don't I just, like, just straight up go kill myself in the recess yard? How about um, we all go watch Homeward Bound and cry about animals? 
lives. Yeah, but at least they live. Shadow lives. Like, this is some red fern rose shit, right? Like Shadow comes over the hill at the end of Lee. I know, but some dogs don't make it. Like, old yellow. Anyways. Like, but so basically, apparently they made this entirety marketing campaign of it, made it sound like Narnia? Yeah, it made it sound like it's a secret yeah. magical world book, and I was like, oh my god, what if their parents who took their kids to go watch this not knowing? Guaranteed <laughs> there were. Yeah. Oh my god. Can I just oh, say, god. one of the worst things that ever happened is uh, a friend of mine, the week that her like childhood dog died... Oh god. Her boyfriend was like, We need to get you out of the house, like you're too upset. Let's let's go out and they go to like the HMV and like on top of a, a sale bin outside, it's just like a two dollar copy of All Dogs Go to Heaven. No! <laughs> and she just started crying. She was like, I have to buy this like Thanks, the movies. Stop killing animals. Um well, I, will say, I will say that All Dogs Go to Heaven, the whole premise is that he's gonna die in the end. Yeah, but, but you like, think that he's not going to die because he's the dog, and the dog is not supposed to die. The title says he's No, <laughs> no, the dogs are not supposed to die. Even Hannibal knows that the dogs are not supposed to die. Anyways, long <laughs> Have you raped, no. quit, or refused to acknowledge a death? No. You just fucking love death? She embraces them. I have, no. You, I, just, like, you love death so much you love Sherlock to permanent death. Right. You're the <laughs> worst. <laughs> <laughs> you think that she went the other way and embraced it so much she couldn't handle her not really being dead. <laughs> it's like opposite of rage quitting. You're just like a special black snowflake. She like rage subscribed to that newsletter. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> nice. Alright. I genuinely don't think I ever like stopped because a character died. I mean I've stopped watching shows along the way for various other reasons including actors leaving. Like, I quit Smallville after Michael Rosenbaum was gone. Which was a legit decision. It was. That was a very smart decision, and I'm very proud of it to this day. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think I've ever quit a show because somebody died. I will say that, like, there's some things where if a death is, like, stupid enough, and I feel like it was so badly done that it just makes me think the show is just so epically stupid I can't watch it anymore, then sometimes it will be, like, indirectly the cause for me not wanting to watch a show anymore, but only because I'm like, this is just so stupid now, I can't, like, you know... I can't continue. Right. Yeah, and sometimes it changes the dynamic of a show so much. Right. You know, like, the the, you think it's not going to be that bad, like, the death itself wasn't so bad, but then you get, you know, a season into it, and you're like, wow, that character actually was kind of the thing that made this dynamic work, and now this just sucks. Right. Like, does anyone, then, would right. anyone ever want to see, like, Firefly post-wash? I don't want to see that. Like, no. <laughs> I don't think anybody cares for Firefly post-wash. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Not here for that. Next question is circling us back to Hannibal, and we'll launch off a great discussion. I can feel it already. So this is from <laughs> Tumblr Anon, and this obviously, spoilers for season two up four, if you're still here, what do you even care? Um, so for the character death app, I just want to say that I'm still not over Beverly Katz's death, nor should you be. It was like two seconds ago in Hannibal. Like, it's true she was never really a major character, but I somehow became really invested in her. 
I like that she's direct, no bullshit, and a great friend to Will, but then she was killed, apparently about to be mutilated. The only conceivable reason yes. I can think of to motivate is to motivate Will and to make Jack feel guilty, but we already had Abigail and Miriam for that. So, to address this, I, I feel like my first reactive thought is that I don't think that's why Bev is dead. I think that Will's guilt has nothing to do with it, and I think that Jack was already guilty over previous people's deaths. Um, like, I think if Will's going to be guilty about anything, he's guilty about Abigail. Jack's going to be guilty about anything. There's a fucking lot of people to be guilty about. I think that my reading of this is that it made sense to me narratively that Bev was going to die because she is the only person who is a major stakes enough that her death is a major issue for us. B, she's in a cellar. Nobody would have given two shit. I mean, like, you would have been sad about it, but it was only fandom that would have been sad about it. And it wouldn't have necessarily been, like, a major narrative element. Whereas Beverly Katz is basically Will's only friend that is also investigating the case. So she crossed over in a very unique way where she could be the person digging into Hannibal, as well as caring and having established an emotional relationship with Will prior. You know, like she took him into the house during the Georgia case and she came and visited him and granted it was for cases and stuff like that. But they actually set it up so that, I mean, yeah, it sucks that she's dead, but like the reason she's dead is because she had that connection with Will and because of the particular role that she played within the narrative. Right. I mean, like, I I guess like if it comes down to a question of do I view it as fridging? No. I think... I mean, maybe there is, like, a slight element to that in terms of how... I, I, I will be interested to see, because um, she didn't actually, like, die in episode four. It's just very, very heavily implied that she's going to die very soon. So I would be interested to see, like, A, how she dies, and B, like, the follow-up of that, and how her death actually does impact those characters. Um, and if it is only just only to make everyone, Jack and Will, feel terrible and, like, serve no other purpose whatsoever, then that will be kind of disappointing. Um but in a very kind of, like, tropey and, like, a terrible fridge way. Um, if, if it only starts to, like, create me a pen. I don't necessarily think that's where they're going for it. But, again, we don't really know at this point. Um, I will say that uh, you are right. She did have a very interesting, like, functional role to play in the narrative. Because in addition to being a, a person who was there to... Who didn't ultimately believe Will or was trying to manipulate Will, but was skeptical about Will, but was willing to listen to him and was also willing to find out what the truth was. And so she occupied a space that Alana didn't, doesn't really have because mm-hmm. she's clearly not super objective. Um, or like she, and she's, she, and Alana's on Will's side and it's you know, like, ultimately she's right that he's innocent, but. But she occupied, like, but she's on Will's side in the sense she's his doctor. Right. Like, she's not on Will's side, but she's, like, a cop. She's, right. like, not going to go on to any crime scenes or right. go to look for yes. any of that shit. She doesn't have that, that functional arm in terms of, like, the procedural part of it. Jack is Will's boss and has a whole history of issues in terms of his ability or, like, his his professional, like, um, ability to even interact with him at this point, considering everything that's going on, um, in addition to the power differential and, like, the, you know, the ways in which he sort of pushed Will into a certain in a certain way to where he is now. Um, and, and Hannibal, obviously, like, whole other fucking fucked up kettle of fish. Um, <laughs> so she, she occupied, like, a really interesting, very, like, balanced, like, rational, like, objective, like, I don't believe you, I don't disbelieve you, like, I don't... And, and because, like, the... Everything is so kind of, like, twisted and fucked up in that show, she was kind of very much, like, 
an interesting straight arrow in terms of like, again, like no bullshit and like not really being fucked over or like, I don't know, by any of the other characters. And I appreciated that about her, but I can also see how like in her role in trying to investigate it, if she is going to ultimately find out the truth, which is that Hannibal's a serial killer and he's going to know about it, then like, you know, Miriam found out that Hannibal was a serial killer and she got killed. Abigail found out that Hannibal was a serial killer and she got got killed. Beverly found out the same thing. Bedelia suspected, heavily implied it, and then ultimately was able to leave town and escape before he killed her. Um, Because she knew that he was a serial killer and knew what he was capable of. Right. And so she could get the fuck out before he ultimately um, caught up with her. Will found out that Hannibal was a serial killer and now he's like in solitary in in like a prison for the insane. Right. Um, which is, which is an interesting pattern and you can draw whatever conclusions you feel like drawing from that, um, that you care to. Right. And I think it it is a really hard death and like, to be honest, I didn't necessarily see it coming, but I don't, it's not one that I point to and I'm like, there's literally no fucking reason on earth that you had to do this. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing that makes this a particularly interesting and nuanced point is that the actress who plays Beverly Katz, um, actually, Hedy Ann Park actually wrote a post about this in the wake of sort of the furor where people are like, oh my God, how could you help kill Bev? And the awesome, like... Right, woman of color, like, what are you doing? And the sort of accusations of, like, fridging and, like, racism and sexism started to play out. And I think she writes what is, like, a very measured response to that, um, which we'll link on the show page when this goes up. But I think that one of the points that she brings up is that people are perhaps too quick to draw a conclusion that like Brian Fuller has autonomously made a terrible decision to like murder a woman of color off of his show. And that's like an indication of his like deeper underlying narrative sense in his head when there's actually like a lot of factors that play into any such decision and not to go ahead and make some sort of like quick judgment on this sort of thing. And her read on the care on the whole story is actually her line is as far as quote fridging, killing her off for the sake of the plot or creating, quote, man-made. Hannibal is based on the Thomas Harris novels, and it centers on the relationship between Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham. Two dudes. So that's where the focus will be and will likely remain. I think that's fair. Like, I'm sure that's going to get me, like, a lot of hate mail. But, like, I, I mean, I think that there are two ways to look at any given death, right? Like, you can look at it as, um, a piece of evidence and a larger argument that you're building about systemic problems within uh, the canon of storytelling, or you can look at it in the context of its own individual piece of work. I think within the context of the show Hannibal, Beverly Katz's death makes perfect narrative sense to me within the larger canon as, as a piece of like evidence for like a larger systemic problem. It definitely fits into a lot of the slots, right? Like, She's a woman. She's, like, one of the few women that had, like, major interactions with anything. Like, the minute she got, like, mouthy or curious, like, they made her do a series of dumb things that seem out of character for her, and then she gets off. So there are a lot of perspectives. I can see everyone's point of view. Like, me personally, I think that it made sense. Right. I mean, I think my my problem with it, I think the fact that, like, what was she doing? Why did she have to do that stupidly? Then that was annoying. You know, why did she have to go to Hannibal's murder basement alone, like, without telling anybody? Like, that was dumb. Um, 
But other than that, like, and like, am I sad that she's gone? I am sad that she's gone. I think that in her opinion, it was not like mitigated by like sexist, racist factors for character's death. And while her opinion does not mean that, no, you know, it's okay, you guys, nobody has to be upset about it because Hedy and Park said it wasn't like this. Like that's clearly like her opinion ultimately doesn't have any more water than anyone else's in terms of like what is or what isn't and how you personally feel about it. Mm-hmm. But I think it is interesting to see, especially because we don't often even get this sort of insider perspective from yeah. something like this ever before um, about A, like the kind of factors that go into like why a character might get killed on a show from like the, you know, the network, all the other things, every other like finger in the pie. Um and also the actress's own opinion on it yeah. as an actress and a woman of color. Like, who I is feel very like, clearly, and it's very, who's clearly very re- well read in on a lot of these issues. Yeah. So it's and not even should, like she has no awareness mm-hmm. of this. Yeah, you guys should yeah. all go check out her post. She's very, very, she's a very, she has a very good point of view. And I think she covers a lot of people's concerns. And like, she very rightfully says, like, don't dismiss any of it, right? Like, all of this is a genuine issue, but here's my point of view on this one particular incident. Right. So we'll link that. You guys should check it out if you haven't read it already. Right. Um, okay. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> this is one that everyone here can talk about. <laughs> a Tumblr Anon asks, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Merlin finale, which is <laughs> multiple major character <laughs> One of which were promised resurrection reincarnation for, but never received. And the ending of the show resolves nothing narratively or emotionally. Yes, I'm bitter. Um, the lack of closure on these deaths in the series as a whole makes the series stick in my mind when discussing major character death. And you know what, Waldorf? You've been real quiet. Why don't we get started? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Fran. Um, Okay, so I... <laughs> I actually have only watched the Merlin finale in bits and pieces. I have not sat and watched that whole thing all the way through because it's going to make me so angry. And like, it's been years and I am still not ready emotionally to be as angry at that as I'm going to be. But I've watched all of like the salient clips and I've seen, you know, Merlin aged and yeah. And kind of wandering around waiting for Arthur in perpetuity. Um, that show, that is a show that I actually rage quit for reasons that had nothing to do with deaths and just the fact that I could not continue to watch it, but it got real dumb there for the, it it just got so like, (laughs) infuriating. That being said, there is not a gift set on Tumblr about that, that I will not reblog instantly. Like, can you put it together so that it is the most heart-wrenching? Can you bring up the fact that there was no reincarnation, that Merlin is still waiting? Excellent. I am totally here for that. You're such an asshole. Do you read, do you read fic or, like, just, like, she emotionally manipulative Tumblr gift sets? All of it. All of it, okay. Um, I will say my feeling about the Merlin now, I, I stopped watching that show, I want to say, like, season three? Was... So I think it was season three. I watched all of seasons one and two, and then I, like, failed out in the middle of season three. Mm-hmm. Um, so before, a lot of, like, the awesome nights rolled up, and, like, you know, when, like, evil Morgana started happening, because I love Morgana, and, like, I was just not there for that. Um, and then you I turned it on and watched the finale, and I, and I have to say, I motherfucking loved that series finale. I don't care. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought it was, and, like, also part of this is just sort of me being, like, an asshole and, like, me having, <laughs> no longer having emotional investment in this and, like, 
the same way that I sort of read the last Twilight book, like just being like, <laughs> this is hilarious. This is like, if you guys have not heard 20 something and Marilyn talking about telling each other about the series finale of Merlin, it is the worst. It is literally 20 something saying that Marilyn told her about the series finale of Merlin. She felt so strong because she didn't feel like pain. That was, that was the period I was when I, I watched it. I, I know my investment. I've been in a fandom. I burned out of the fandom. And when I burn out of a fandom, I generally, it's like a door that shuts and will never open again. Um, it's like, like that's in the Department of Mistress. Right. Unless Gabriel comes back, it's shut and it will never open again. And like, I don't care. Like, literally, you can try to convince me to give a shit and I won't. Um, and so I watched that finale. And like, the great thing about that finale, though, was that after all, like, the silly, like, all of like the homoerotic, like, queer baiting or whatever you want to call it, for like series after series after series, they finally got the whole like dying in my arms, just hold me Merlin moments of like, is this really happening? Are they actually finally <laughs> going to like consummate this terrible, like whatever they've been promising for, for so long. And then like, no, because Arthur's about to die. And I was literally just going like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this catharsis on top of like, you know, terrible, terrible heartache, and then, like, the end of it, which is sort of, like, you know, yes, and now it's just bleak and awful, and I was just, like, good. <laughs> okay, you still haven't seen it, have you? I've heard your retelling of it, and I think that was plenty enough for me. I, my point of view on the Merlin series finale is that I will still use the phrase that I use you know what, I'll tell you the whole story. So, like, I held off on watching the series finale, because I'm a fucking idiot, until, um, <laughs> I decided, I was like, well, I'm busy, I know the show ended, I know that Arthur must die, because, you know, obviously Arthur dies, and everyone seems real upset about that, so I downloaded the file, but it was crazy at work, and I was like, you know what, I'll just watch it when I'm on my way up to Connecticut for Christmas. I was going to visit some friends of the family, and I'm on the fucking Metro North train, on the last outbound train from New York City on a Friday before the holidays, and it's packed, and there's, like, fucking children all up in my face, which I normally am, like, fine with, except this day, I had my headphones plugged in, and I was watching Merlin on my laptop, and I was curled into a semi-fetal position against, pressed against the window, sobbing incoherently while these kids that were in my same, like, and if you guys have been on the Metro North, like, they're crawling all over those gross, like, brown seats that face each other and, like, asking their mom, understandably, what's wrong with that lady in the corner? And, like, all I could think was, like, look at me. Like, I'm about, like, don't look at me or anything. But here's, here's the great thing. Like, the entire thing, it's so, like, emotionally affecting and, like, there was sort of a moment of them finally, like, coming together in yeah. a way that you always hoped that they would. And, like, and then he dies, but it's okay because he's going to come back, but he's not going to come back. Right? Like, the greatest part about that, right? Like, that's <laughs> the reason that we actually take offense with the way that they ended Merlin well, is that I it's so it's more open in it. Like, it's going to happen soon. No, no, no. Like, I'm not upset about that part. Like, I'm upset that they didn't, like, decide to steal my proposed ending for the series, which I'll talk about in a second. But what really weirded me out about that ending is that it's so upsetting. It's so brutal. It's so heart-wrenching. I mean, I will Bradley tried all the way through. Yeah, Bradley James and Colin Morgan played that the way that you would play, like, a BBC drama that would run on BBC One at 10 p.m., right? Like, that was an upsetting, really sad death. And the fact that he died in his arms, they were best friends, and he had to send him off to, like, have, like that stuff is, like, fucking wrenching. This is a goddamn kid's show. It used to run at, like, 
it used to run like Sunday afternoon. Like, what the do remember, fuck? Do you remember the farting trolls episode? This is like totally <laughs> inappropriate to the series, right? Like, this was a punch fuck of an episode that makes right. it transcend all of its narrative powers. That it yeah, has. like, and you're just like, this is somehow like upsetting me in spite of all the fallacies of the series. Now, the way that they could have fixed that for me is so that I could have been, like, ugly crying and been laughing in front of these kids who would clearly think I needed help, right? Um, would be, I always wanted the series to end with them, like, Merlin sending Arthur off, like, he's dead, we know we have to wait for him to come back, is, like, I just wanted a fucking modern-day shot of London and Merlin and Gwen walking down the street and some fucking blonde, posh asshole, like, knocks him over or, like, drives by in his jag, splashes Merlin all the fuck with his car, and he gets out, and it's Bradley James in a deliciously cut suit, and it's like, <laughs> boom. That's it. You don't need anything else. Right. And that would have made up for no all the punch fucking in the world. <laughs> and then they look at him and everything. And like fine. you know, it's like the beginning of like round two. Let's go. That would have made up for everything. And they decided to make ugly old Colin Morgan walking next to a goddamn lake. What was upsetting? <laughs> that was upsetting and it was offensive to me. Can I just say what makes this extra great to me? Is that this is from the same people who were like, you know what we need? A two-part episode that is mostly troll farting. Right! <laughs> Just, like, totally so wrong. Like, how did you... How? Yeah, I mean, this actually touches on, like, a major thing. Like, when it comes to me and character death, it's just, like, every... So, I, I feel like every single person going into one of my stories is probably going to know... A, what is the tone of the story? And B, who are the people who are going to fuck in this story within the first couple of paragraphs? Not so with Merlin. Yeah, like, I don't want to surprise you with that shit. Like, you should be able to, like, read the beginning of it and sort of get a feel. Like, I feel like there's an author-reader implicit contract. And, like, I'm not going to get three quarters of the way through drastically redefining protocol and, like, suddenly have Merlin die of flesh-eating bacteria, and the rest of that story be about, like, grieving Prince Arthur, marrying someone against his will. No! That would be, like, horrible, and, like, not the point. It would be a complete betrayal. And, Dude. like, I felt like that series finale was a total betrayal. Like, I got into this stupid show for the unicorn maze, and you <laughs> murdered him in Merlin's arms! <laughs> question yes yes so i think i think one thing though the question is saying like the lack of closure yeah like, there's a certain like if you're going to kill someone it kind of has to have a point and a reason you yes. know what i mean or like that you know what i mean it even, has to do something right even if in reality it doesn't have a point in, in reality reason, in real life absolutely not shit just happens and, like, yeah but like in a, story, in a story you gotta yeah. work a little harder than reality does right generic character death question because someone asked me recently, is there a difference between female character deaths being used for man pain versus male characters legitimately being allowed to grieve? Yes. Well, yes. Okay, Waldorf, you get to go first because Supernatural. If the char- if the female characters have a story of their own mm-hmm. outside of these male characters, if they exist 
you know, either parallel to or, you know, perfectly or whatever, you know, as long as they have their own stories, like Ellen and Joe, okay, from Supernatural. That death Oh my God, that was so fucking brutal. That was awful. Like, I should have used that. Like, forget Owen and Tosh. That was awful. But it really worked for me because they were as much soldiers in that fight and it was as much their own decision. You know, everybody stayed up the night before. Everybody was like, we're going into this. Somebody's not going to make it out. You know, we don't know who isn't going to make it out. The Winchesters are probably making it out or they will make it out eventually. But, you know, like, it was their decision to go into that. It had nothing to do with, you know, they weren't, they weren't dating them. It wasn't an excuse for the boys to be like, oh, now we feel even more like we have to avenge them. It was totally about their journey. Yeah. So I think if a female character is allowed to have her own story and her own personality, That's even if that impacts the, the actions of the male characters, as long as she's not the impetus of the male character's story, I think there's a difference. I think that like Jess or even Mary, you could make the argument that that was a fridging to set the boys along their path. Right. Well, you, well, you don't have anything else be, well, you don't know anything really beyond the fact that they died. Yeah. Right. In terms of what the show gives you. And their sole purpose is to die. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I f- yeah, I feel like there's a, it's a certain part, there's a certain level of, like, I'll know it when I see it. Yeah, um, very versus, much the obscenity argument. Yeah, like, there's some of them where I'm like, that is absolutely not okay, and some of them where I'm like, well, this doesn't really bother me that much, even though I would have preferred, you know, this person to be alive. Um, so I wonder if maybe, like, fridgings can only be determined in the aftermath, because yeah. it has a lot to you do with you know, actually how a, things are handled afterwards. You know what actually is a yeah. really interesting movie that I think I actually saw with Lepagus? I don't remember, it was a while ago. Um, it's called Salt, and it has Angelina Jolie. Yes. Um, and it's a really interesting film, mostly if you know before you watch it that it was originally written as, like, a male um, hero action film yep. where the the male, the main male character's uh, wife ends up getting um, killed, and then he ends up going on, like, you know, whatever, spies, quests, whatever, and he, he was an assassin, blah, 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 whatever. It's very, like, the plot is fairly generic, but um, they turned it into a movie starring Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. and, um, and so she, and it's, it was really interesting watching it, because you're watching her, and she has this adorable sort of professor husband who ultimately ends up suffering this terrible death, and she gets very, like, cold and hard and, like, has to go off and, like, murder every fucking one and their mother because somebody killed her husband. And, yes. like, and it was really interesting to watch that sort of narrative be played out where the gender roles are reversed. Um, and ways in which things that you don't, like, it sort of called to attention things and you just sort of accept for just things that happen in films. But you're like, but wait a minute, not actually so. Another example of this I just thought of, Alias. Yeah. Yes, same, similar. Very similar. Starts yeah. off as a master's student, finds her fiancé dead in a tub, right. having had his suicide faked, and then goes full Sydney on them. Yeah. Yeah, but- I think you can also kind of look at it, if the female character is, like, dictating the tone of the movie like if she's alive and he's with her things are good and fine and then she dies things go bleak and he goes on a murder rampage and that's like all you know of her then that's also like okay that's not that's fridging that's not an acceptable female character death to me that's like she's only there in service of his story 
his his own emotional state and that's it yeah i feel like a good way to like sort of benchmark like is this a fridging situation is like if I reduce this to its basics, would Jason Statham be playing the male role in this? Because <laughs> if Jason Statham is playing the male role, you are definitely in a full four-alarm fridge situation. If you need someone who is, like, less charming British and, like, more emotional depth to right. play the character, then, I don't know, maybe it's not a fridging. I mean, I, I was actually, I was talking to you earlier, one thing that, um, one movie that I saw recently, and this is another spoilers for this, I guess, if anyone gives a shit about Wes Anderson spoilers. Oh, God. Um, spoilers for Grand Budapest Hotel, guys. All three hipsters that aren't waxing their mustaches and actually listening to this. Right. Um, so basically the entire, this is like not a spoiler at all, because the entire setup of the film is that Tilda Swinton, who plays a hilariously fucking weird old lady, um, and has a romance with the concierge at the hotel. She dies, and she leaves him this painting in her will, and her entire family, which is full of shady fucksticks, is basically <laughs> trying to track him down and track this painting down. Um, and so it's him and his lobby boy and the lobby boy's girlfriend, who is a baker, who's played by Sarsi Ronan. And, um, and so there's the old lady, there's Sarsi Ronan, there's the sister of somebody else, and then there's um, three sisters in the family who literally have just, like, one collective personality hanging out together all the time, don't actually have an intelligible like, individual line between them, so they're just kind of, like, a three-person gelatinous blob of a character that is not, you know, real. And, yeah. Um, or so much to the plot. And so those are the only, these are the only women in this entire film, because it's Wes Anderson, which, like, you know, whatever, this is what you sign up for when you watch a Wes Anderson film. Like, he writes, like, he can, he can handle, like, a certain level of good ladies, and then he hits his quota, and then he just doesn't have any more. I like, think he, like, And all his extra friends are dudes, so, like, he just... He blew his entire lady load <laughs> on the Royal Tenenbaums, on Gwyneth Paltrow's <laughs> character, <laughs> and on Angelica Houston, yes. that movie. And that movie's like, lovely and done. He's spent. Yes. <laughs> but, um, so basically, the entire film, spoilers for this, obviously Tilda Swinton's old lady character dies at the whole point of the fucking movie. I don't mind that she's dead, because it's the whole entire setup of yeah. the movie that she dies. Um, this, the sister of one of the people ends up getting killed by one of these, like, this lawyer thug because he's trying to find her brother and he kills a little everyone in his path, including Jeff Goldblum and Jeff Goldblum's cat. Like, there's a string of murders that go around this. He kills Jeff Goldblum's he, cat? He throws him out the window. It's really sad. There's, there's animal death as well, which upsets people a lot, too, sometimes. Um, and then he kills her. And, like, fine. You're trying to find his brother. You, ki- you murdered everyone else. You're gonna murder her, too. And, um, and then three sisters live, and then Sparsi Rona's character survives the entire narrative of the film, all the street scenes, and you find it literally in, like, a flashback narration that two years after the events of, like, the main narrative in the film, she died in childbirth. Which is... And the, the character has felt so sad about this ever since that he's, like, ultimately bought this hotel um, so that he can kind of keep her close to his heart. And you're like, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Super dumb. There's literally no reason why you had to murder her. And, like, you don't even murder her. You murdered her off screen as, like, an afterfact for, like, no fucking reason whatsoever. And, like, you literally, she was the, literally the only person in this entire movie, lady, who had more than, like, five lines. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Wes Anderson, you totally fridged her to basically make your main dude feel sad and, like, nostalgic about his dead wife. Like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving right along from there, uh, another Tumblr anon. Regarding major character deaths, do you prefer to know in advance? Uh, spoilers, original source material, etc., so you can prepare, or would you rather not know so that it doesn't hang over your head during the experience of the story? This kind of goes to my tonal thing, like, if you're gonna fucking kill one of my characters, like, I want that to be evident 
in the beginning of the story. Like, I want to know that that's coming, either through tone or something else. But, like, do not make it so that, like, I thought that this was, like, a rom-com until, like, three quarters of the way through it after the magical unicorns and the farting trolls (laughs) where you have someone die in my goddamn arms. Like, let's not do a Merlin. No. I mean, I don't necessarily know that I want to, like, 100% know for sure, but there should be indicators that lead the narrative to that conclusion if that's ultimately what the story is about. Yeah. Like, Like, I don't need you to tag for death. Like, I don't care if you tag or warn for anything. I just, like don't want to be, like, narratively shocked because it's nothing else that's shitty writing to right. jar me that badly. Right. Or, like, you know how The Painted Veil, you know that story? Uh, yeah, Mara, I do know The Painted Veil. I wonder why I know The Painted Veil. I might have made you why it's like, she's beautiful. Um, Everyone dies of dysentery. Not it's everyone. Great. Um, some people live. But basically, that's a movie where it's a period drama set in, like, rural China. Don't watch it. Don't. Like, there's, there's an outbreak. And essentially, it's one of those things where you know almost immediately that it's, like, this sort of, like, fraught marriage drama. And one of them is not going to make it out of their life. <laughs> you don't know which one exactly. But, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good times. And I, it's I, the like, one who didn't have the affair, <laughs> obviously, is the one who will die. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I come down on kind of a, a, on both sides of this. Okay. Because I like the stories like, um, I don't know, terrible ones like A Walk to Remember or Stepmom or something like that, where the whole story is about a character with a terminal illness, and you know you are going to end up sobbing through, you know, at least a quarter of that movie, if not more. Yeah. But you still put up with it because it's a good story. I also like the shock deaths not colson's but like <laughs> but like wash's death like that w- that worked for me like i sat there in the theater and just like machine gun sobbed i missed probably the next five minutes of that movie yeah, just having that <laughs> but it was but you know like that worked for me um when sirius died i I think I read like five more pages before I was like, oh my God, no, he's really dead. And then started crying. And like, I guess you could say that it's implicit in those movies because there's a level of violence in them that there's always the risk that somebody is going to die. But you didn't no, really not. believe... They do dangerous fucking shit at Hogwarts all the time no, and no one dies before no, like... I think. But I mean, you can look back at it and say, okay, well, you're doing dangerous fucking shit and like the whole premise of it is that Lily and James died in a war. Like, people have died. No, I, I think there's stakes implicit there. I think there's a certain like, the whole like narrative bait, I don't know, like the whole game that people, narratives will play with you where you're like, damn, you're dangerous, something terrible's gonna happen, but they're gonna be okay. And like that happens often enough where you get to be like, well, sure, like, you know, Sam Winchester's in this perilous situation, but I feel like he'll probably be okay in the end. I don't really believe that he's gonna die. Yeah. Um, and then with sort of like more like ensemble things like Harry Potter and like Firefly and stuff like that when the authors do ultimately end up doing that, even though you know their stakes, there's still sort of this weird comfortability of, like, you know, but you're not really going to do it. You're not really going to do it. Oh, wait, no, you actually did just do that. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And like, I wouldn't want it in a rom-com or something like that. Like, I wouldn't want it in Notting Hill that it turns out that Julia Roberts actually has cancer. And before, you know, when she leaves after the paparazzi she actually goes off and dies, and they never get that nice moment at the end where she gets to be a girl in front of a boy. 
OBT jumps, guys. That was pretty much the plot of Sweet November. Never watched that fucking movie. The movie sucked. Just, oh, see, I would not like that. Just don't watch any movies by that dude. Exactly. Yes. That was one of my regretful, uh, I'll watch this because Michael Rosenbaum is in it. Look what I've done for myself. <laughs> I saw that in the theater. Oh, that's worse. I'm really sorry, guys. Uh, MK, I'm guessing that you want character death tagged 8,000 times. Yeah, I want you to be like character death colon the character who dies. But the next two questions are related, at least they are for me. From Vasilady on Twitter, the question is, was there ever a character death you were really happy about? And that ties in, at least for me, with the next question from Neri on Twitter, which was, are y'all <laughs> going to talk about Wilson from House? Because I, like, laughed for a year <laughs> Wilson from House. And I will tell you why. It's not because I wasn't sad at his death, because I cried a lot at the series finale of that, but because for years in House fandom, like, it was the bad fic trope that you would give Wilson cancer and he'd die, and they would ride off into the sunset. And there was, like, something really special and beautiful about you coming to the end of eight seasons of a show that is, like, one Emmys and stuff for writing. And they actually gave Wilson cancer and rode off into the sunset together. You're just like, all right, fine, let's do it. Let's go. Let's just, like, commit to this full crazy stuff. <laughs> I feel like that's, like, Max trolling of house fandom. <laughs> it has to be. There's no, like, what the fuck were you guys doing? <laughs> I believe they were doing smack. <laughs> what What is smack to you, MK? <laughs> Some kind of illicit street drug. I don't even know how you ingest it. I don't know how the streets work. <laughs> Well, MK, your street, in fact, your cul-de-sac. I might be like Avenue. Yeah, that's right. Look at you, thug Avenue life. I don't, I don't know. What I will say about the house that I feel like it was such a procedural. Yeah. The relationship was like it had a kind of a balance and a pattern to it that like, how are you ever going to resolve it? And make it either happy or unhappy. Like, there was no way to do it. And, like, so they kind of had been, like, painted into a corner. And then there was no way to get out of there without something (laughs) super dramatic and stupid, which is giving Wilson a terminal illness and seeing how the fuck House deals with it, which was crazy and not well and more crazy. crazy. (laughs) Okay, wait, but at least they didn't do the, remember when House had like a seizure or whatever and almost died in the first season? He died then and everything else since has been a dream. (laughs) I like the theory. I do like that theory. But no, but I I think like there's a certain level of like them being like, oh, fuck it, I don't know. And they like set the table (laughs) and they're like, whatever, we don't know what's going on. We're just going to see what the fuck happens now. And like for a show that's that old, like on its its last episode, like what the fuck else are you going to do with like a procedural like medical show? I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) And from like a larger medical context, like there's something profoundly funny about it because like I literally watched House and was like, ha, look, this is the only show Robert Sean Leonard hasn't died on. (laughs) (laughs) Just to like close that loop. Robert Sean Leonard is one of my frequently dead buddies. Like just always goddamn dead. Yeah. Starting like Dead Poet Society and like every other thing he's been in. Like I think in one he got shoved down some stairs and like obviously you die from being shoved down the stairs. Good. And like that that for some reason like didn't bother me in a way that I was expecting it to. And it wasn't and it and again I think it it sort of read me a lot like 
one of those like death fix where a character X has to keep on going or like deal with it. It like answers the question of like what the fuck would happen if House was faced with losing like his best friend. <laughs> he would face it answers that. <laughs> and they would go on a motorcycle ride. You know, and you're like, and, and it is complete like the buckloads, the buttloads of crazy that poured out from this. It's like proof of how important Wilson was in his life and how little he was able to cope with this happening to him was like bizarrely glorious, even in the face of something that was ultimately really, really fucking sad. But it was also like this weird procedural show, breaking free of its mooring and being like, fuck you, I do what I want. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it was bizarrely liberating in a way that I don't fully understand. No, but it's, par- it's like, it's just complete craziness and it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. And like looking back at it, I honestly don't know what I would have done differently. Literally. No, nothing. it was a, del- like I said. That's my favorite character death ever. It was a delight. It well, was... it's not even, you don't even actually see him go, though. It, it has, like, a very, like, you know, Lady of the Tiger sort of ending. I don't know. No, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely, like, he's obviously, not, he's not going to make it much longer, but you don't actually see it happening, which that's I think true. is important. That's like, true. Like, they had the kind of a Thelma and Louise going off the cliff moment where you know they are. He's going to die. Maybe House will, you know, who knows what will happen to it after. Um... But they were just kind of going to, like, do their own thing and take their agency into their hands with as much as, much as they had left in the face yeah. of what's happening. And just be like, fuck it. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It had a weirdly, like, vaguely uplifting part of spirit to it, even though it was, you know, sad. <laughs> I, I, I mean, understand. I spent that entire final episode basically, like, staring at my computer monitor going, like, is this actually happening right now? Like, are we really doing this? Good. Holy, did you really trick him into going to a restaurant with you? Or are you... Telling romantic memory stories about your Oreos and like camp and like, all right, fine, right off into the sunset. I presume I tweeted all the slash reporters when, you know, Wilson was definitely dead after the series finale. And I presume shortly after that happened, House found himself in a Mexican drug den and was, you know, dead too. Like, that's probably the ending of that show. Okay. But we didn't have a rape. It's lovely, lovely. Yeah, it was like it was completely just bonkers on its own. You're like, all right, fine, fake your death. Let's do this. I'll call Wilson at your own funeral. Let's do this right now. Such an ass. That was so great. Full commitment to insanity. <laughs> okay, that's mine. Did you guys have any character deaths you were really happy about? Yeah, Dumbledore. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Okay, the book where Dumbledore dies. I opened it. I opened it, I read the first page, and I was like, oh, so Dumbledore dies in this, this is gonna be great. And, like, literally, he was dying, and I was like, yeah, you drink that water, bitch. (laughs) Just, like, did not care, was kind of glad, I was like, oh, you talk too much. Wow. This is a really big turn all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm like, I've been the black snowflake. No, no. I'm scared to ask this question, but I'm going to do it for all of us. Okay, why were you so happy that Dumbledore was dead? What did you find so objectionable about him? There was, okay, so there was like a point after Sirius died in Harry Potter where literally everyone just started dropping like flies. And so by the time that like this book is released, there's like the buildup for like two months before it comes out where people are like, I'm going to go to a release party and then I'm going to cry when I find out who dies. And I was like, it's probably going to be Dumbledore. <laughs> like, there's really, that's that's where this has to go now. There's really no other option. You look yeah. at the, like, first page of that book, it's obvious. No, I, I feel like he's he's the wise old wizard stage yeah. character. <laughs> right? Like, like, and definitely, and up, he doesn't come back. Like, 
of course, she's like the old like mentor character who's going to die. Also, the way that J.K. Rowling writes writes him as it goes further on, where he's keeping all this shit from Harry, yeah. so that Harry can't know for like weird dramatic irony and holding the idiot ball purposes, was increasingly frustrating to me. And I just like lost my patience with him as it went further and further on. And it wasn't really his fault. It was just like. Harry wasn't being able to be told about things, but you know, but you kept it from him for reasons, and, like, they made no sense, and they were really fucking stupid, and I just got angry at him, and so by the time he left, I was like, okay, whatever. Well, I mean, mostly I felt bad because Snape felt terrible about it, like, that was maybe the modicum of, like, awfulness in the entire scene. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know that it, like, literally was, like, the last piece of, like, his his own solitary goodness, which but just But doesn't Snape out. also die? Yes. 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 Not until seven. He kills Dumbledore in book six, though. Oh, Dumbledore good! Makes him, Dumbledore makes him kill him. Basically. In order to stop Malfoy from, yeah, Draco from having to do it. Yeah, because Draco has to do it, so it's either Draco does it, and so they can keep the kid from having to murder him. He makes Severus do it, and so, and, like, literally the only person who's ever, like, thought he was any, like, good at all in his entire fucking life, he has to kill him. It's great. I feel like, I feel like 20-something <laughs> right now. Like, I have no emotional reaction to this at all. I feel so strong <laughs> to this. Right. Knowing that someone is still upset about this, probably. Right. So part of it for me was, like, that character bullshit. Part of it for me was the writing got real shitty. And part of it was just, like, spite for the people around me. Because, like, I have this, this like, <laughs> lack of emotion where I open the book and I'm like, he's going to die and I don't care. And all of a sudden, like, around me, just society starts freaking the fuck out. They're like, I can't believe she killed Dumbledore or she's going to kill Dumbledore. And I was just like... Bitch, please, like, get it together. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Do you remember do you remember those troll shirts they made after the week after it happened that was, like, Dumbledore dies on page whatever the fuck <laughs> people were wearing? I, them. like, personally think that you probably should have been slapped. Like, if you were wearing one of those shirts, that should have been free reign for anyone to slap you in the face. <laughs> and I'm, like, not even invested in that. That's just... Yeah. That's just ungentlemanly, unsporting, sir. <laughs> good. I can't believe that I was necessarily happy about him dying at all, but... That's a pretty good one, MK. Thanks. What about, what about you two, Remainders? Um, nice. We call them in the black snowflake. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, I went back to Smallville to watch Lionel Luther die. <laughs> that was really satisfying for me. That was really good for me. I usually like it when I feel like somebody's getting their comeuppance. Like, yes, yeah. you deserve to die. I'm really glad you're dead. You know, it's uh, kind of weirdly good for me, though this is only adaptation-specific, not in terms of the character. The uh, Les Mis movie, when Javert goes jumping off the bridge and goes, like, thunk <laughs> on the piece of stonework, and then goes into the river, and you're like, goodbye, Russell Crowe. <laughs> Thank you, please leave. And like, I actually, I don't mind Russell Crowe as a human being, really, I just did not like his performance at all, and I was like, please leave. <laughs> I was, I was kind of happy he was dead. Oh my god. Um, and then I cried about everyone else dying. Whatever. It's fine. That movie, that, there's a reason why, like, Lehman's is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Literally only two people are alive. <laughs> Literally. No, well, if you can have the Tardies, Tardies, four. But other than that, two people are alive. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I feel like I should hook you up with my childhood, like, no, like, you would no. probably really enjoy that shit. No, there's there's a difference between, like, here's my thing, there's a difference between stuff that is, like, 
sad and depressing, like angsty, I guess, and things that are, are bleak and just prove the ultimate futility of life in the universe. Oh I don't like option B. <laughs> I can't handle that. And I feel like a lot of Chinese literature is oh my ultimately God, so it's just about the futility of our existence and like very like depressing existential way. And I can't handle that. It's true. It's like how love is real, but it, you'll die. You'll die and you'll never get it or something will go away. Like ultimately what's the point like that's not really what i want to write i want to think about like people having a lot of feelings and things going wrong and being sad but i don't know there's still some i don't know it's it's hard to articulate i know that makes sense that makes sense don't hook me up with your chinese i I will spare you i will spare you (laughs) um and tutu from twitter just yelled yanto from torchwood which is one of the i have to say i cried like a baby because of that but it was totally manipulated crying and it was such a dumb death like if you review what happened in that scene they literally just walk into a room with like a bulletproof container and shoot at it for 30 seconds and then he dies and you're just like what yeah what that was a total fridging that, like, death meant nothing except for making Jack feel bad for maybe three seconds. The entire miniseries was just, like, awful. Not, like, I mean, it, it was, it was, well, it was there to a certain extent, but it really yeah. was awful, mostly. I don't know. I mean, like, it was masterfully rendered, like, if you wanted to make everyone unhappy. Good yeah. job, Russell like, T. Davies. And, like, at the end of it, I was like, I have no interest in watching this anymore. Like, exactly. You were just what I loved, and I, like, when, but, like, that's not enough, and, like, it was like being cleansed with fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that maybe a good place to close it, right? Um, a question that we got from Omens via Twitter, and let's let this play us out, was her her point is that she rage quit person of interest after Joss Carter died, but she still watches SPN and all it chooses to be. Like, why are some shows with the constant murder okay and other deaths so impactful? How many deaths are there in that show? A person of interest? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think I think it has to do with what you were saying with, like, the implicit contract between the writers or, you know, producers or for the television show, many people, um, and the audience. And I think with Supernatural, what you're expecting is that Sam and Dean are going to live and die and then live and then die and then live, but ultimately live. And they will go off and do their thing. And those two characters are at the center of that show, for better or worse. So everyone else is pretty much fair game at this point. But those two are the ones that are holding it together. And if they were to kill one of them, like, I don't even understand how that would happen. Um, That would be kind of like breaking that contract. But everyone else... I kind of have to like expect that it will happen at some point and or if it does happen then I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. Person of interest though is an ensemble procedural show. Like when you have like a major character like that, you don't have an expectation that that person is going to die for the sake of the narrative, be it for like even sensible reasons. Yeah. Um even if it's not just a stupid death. So when that does happen, you do kind of feel like some something has been broken and there has been a betrayal. Um yeah, so I think that's I think that's probably right. And like when like yeah. Marlon, you were as as um they were saying as the, as that Tumblr and I was saying like you were promised a resurrection reincarnation like that was the whole point of the entire thing and you were promised it for five seasons or five series you were expecting that that would ultimately be where it would end up yeah after it got yeah. to the, the you know the tale of Arthur and it came like literally this close to it and then it was like well but like, you did. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? So, like, you promised one thing and it didn't give you that. And, like, so there was, like, there was a breaking of that contract. And I think that's why people were so pissed off. And where some shows, you just kind of expect there to be, like, just heaps, like, horror movies, whatever. Like, keeps the body counts. Hannibal, I'm kind of assuming that, like, everyone ultimately is... everyone on Hannibal is going to die. Like, even Will probably, if they go through the whole narrative, is probably not going to make it to the end of that show. Like, I don't think he would. If you, if, I don't know, like, I honestly don't know what the heck Brian Fuller, et cetera, is going to do, but, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. ultimately, it's a serial, like, the premise of the show is that it's a serial killer who eats people, like, you know I mean? he's eaten a lot of people, and he yeah. will continue and, like, to and, eat like, a lot of people. you still question, like, the way that they do things, and the implications of some of the people that get killed, and why, and how, and when, but... I don't feel like it, that was, like, Beverly was a major betrayal of that show and its premise and everything that it stood for, or things that it had promised you that it ultimately did not deliver. Yeah. Right. So, <clears throat> like, it goes with lots of things, not just character death. Closing thoughts from the death moon. Is there anything from the Black Snowflake to add? No, I was just going to say it's it's exactly your expectation game. You know, you go into Supernatural, you go through the first six episodes, and you know people are going to drop like flies around them. You get attached to characters, but you know this character is going to die at some point, and I'm going to be really upset about it, and then I'll find another character. Or it'll be Adam, and I'll totally forget about him. you just have the expectation that the body count is going to be really really high and you go into every episode thinking this could be the last one that i see you know this character yeah but there are other shows that you watch where you know it's a more ensemble piece and you don't have that expectation that people are going to drop so it does feel like a betrayal and sometimes that betrayal really works and it really depends on the narrative sometimes character death is handled really well in shows and sometimes it's really cheap and they don't know how to do it and the character is never mentioned again so they might as well have just moved to seattle or wherever yeah. all right so i feel like that was a good place for us to end before this podcast goes to 800 hours <laughs> and because we've talked so much about dreary depressing stuff we're going to send you off onto another cheerful productive non-death week um, by talking about stories that did death right or stories that kind of approach this topic in the correct fashion and we will start with um our patron saint our death moon <laughs> um so my fic is um from the lena's fandom which is not super surprising um it's in george grand terrific which is one of the more popular pairings in that and the thing to note with them is that Canonically, they have a very um, adversarial relationship, and one of them is implied to be, like, in love with the other one, and only it's never going to happen. And then in the book, basically, during the fighting, um, they come to shoot the, uh, the main guy, and the other one is passed out drunk on a table, and he comes up and he basically offers himself off to be shot next to him, and then they hold hands and they smile at each other, and they both get killed, and that's the end of the book, or that's the end of their characters in the book. Like, it's awful. And, like, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, they come together and then they just get blown away and they die. And they finally have some sort of, like, I don't know. There's a moment of connection. Yes. 
that one spark that yes. would have sustained him for all of his life if right. only he had any left. Right. Well, and then, but it, was, it had to be that way. Whatever. Blah. blah. And they're like, two sides <laughs> of the same point, and they couldn't really like be together. Blah blah. blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Great. <laughs> right. So there's there's a lot of like mystic that actually like leads up to that ultimate point. So there's just sort of like a general gloom of tragedy over this entire fan, which I appreciate, which is probably why I enjoy it. But um, the fic that I am wrecking tonight um, is called 32 Times by Ark. And she is um, one of my favorite Les Mis authors. And the premise is actually one that starts off kind of tropey, um, where the two of them um, are fuck buddies, essentially. Legit. And they don't like each other very much or Grantaire likes Androis and Androis thinks that Grantaire is like next to nothing and like has no respect for him um, and they fight all the time but they're secretly uh, having the sexual relationship and so the 32 times the 32 different times they sleep together and so obviously um, and well in like any other normal fandom this would be like you would think that 32 times would start off with them just sort of like having angry fuck buddy hate sex and then slowly every time like something happens and the relationship deepens and changes and they come to appreciate other and like the last time it's like they're making the whatever you know like that kind of thing <laughs> yeah which is some, which is a trope that i genuinely adore um unironically i don't care um only the best part is, is that because it's lay mystic and it's in the canon the um after the last time it basically leads up to the moment where um it kind of changes the ending of them um having that connection moment at the end of the, the um the book where when they do have their reconciliation it's with the knowledge the mutual knowledge that they both do love each other which is not the case in the book and then they're going to die together um so it has this whole another layer of terror so they just made it worse yes absolutely so like the literally the last like line of it is um and this is like not even like a spoiler because like do you permit it is what like, he says this is like time. calling spoilers on the bible we know right. jesus died yeah, and so great <laughs> can i like stand with you and die with you and take take your hand and then like he before he can even nod he smiles at him and then they both get shot to death like that is how that's how the thickens as well only basically takes it only they actually have this whole like deep complex relationship and like i don't know it's it's great and then you know it takes this fuck buddy from us and ultimately leads it down this terrible path of sadness <sighs> but they both die so it's like better than i think what's kind of important at least in terms of my death fic the fact that both of them die in this makes it like less awful or like this is why we call you know? the death moon there i'm your name is death moon on this podcast i was just gonna say mary your definition of better and mine are like pretty different <laughs> i don't know if you're aware of this I just think that, like, I, one of the reasons why I enjoy the pairing, even in canon, in terms of suppressing this, is there's sort of a mutualness to it. So it's not like one of them is left without the other one, even if they only barely get this moment of fleeting, you know, connection before. You're so <laughs> stop digging. You're the worst. <laughs> well, Lord, your turn. Okay, uh, I have two. Um, one of them is the SGA fic that I referenced earlier, um, where Rodney blows them up. Um, it is called Dulce et Decorum Est uh, by Kajikia, I think is how you say it. It's over on LJ, so that tells you how old this is. <laughs> um, but it's one of those stories where they're kidnapped by the Wraith, and there's no last-minute uh, rescue, and it's Rodney's point of view. And you don't really know until the very last minute, essentially, when they get blown up, that Rodney has not, in fact, betrayed them and um, has kind of saved everybody 
by killing them all. Um, but it's probably only 600 words, maybe. And it's really, really nice. And it packs a really good punch. And I reread it a couple of weeks ago. And it's one of those fics that kind of sticks with you. And you keep kind of thinking about it. So that's my first one. And the second one is one that I read quite frequently. It's called Shine Even in the Darkness. It's an inception story. Um, and it starts with Arthur dying. And it's the story of Eames and his grief. And it's just really lovely and quiet and hurts. And I think I'd usually get, it's only about 4,000 words. And I usually get, oh, well, 250 into it. And I'm already crying. So blog called Crying New York that is my new favorite blog because it's and I it, it's impossible to tell like it's what like shade so practically <laughs> valuable though is the thing right. where the, this woman I'm assuming it's a woman though who knows um basically has like reviews various spots in New York City like <laughs> crying. for crying you cry when you need a public cry because like, <laughs> New York is that if you are sad you will always crying. end up publicly crying you can't you can't it's very difficult to be like 100% alone in New York nope. City um, so that sometimes you're having like a bad day or emotional problems or whatever the fuck or you cannot just, fucking go to your car during lunch and cry no. and like you you have four roommates and like you're never going to be alone ever um and so she's like you know the McDonald's on 92nd Street whatever <laughs> it's great that nobody looked at me twice and I was sitting there stuffing a Big Mac into my face and like giant tears rolled down my face A plus <laughs> the Bank of America vestibule on Lexington Everyone wants to make eye contact in midtown. Just weep, weep right. over the checks. <laughs> it's so accurate, guys. Right. We're not fucking behind around. the behind a busker on the street. No one will make eye contact with him. You use him as a shield. No one will look at you. <laughs> it's one of those. It is one of those Tumblr blogs which I read and I laughed, but I cried on the inside because I recognize some of these places. No, it's it's. It's actually a really dark blog, but it's a... But guys, just a general good place to cry in New York City, go to the Dwayne <laughs> There's so many of them, and there's always, like, a weird nook in the back near the there prescriptions. Are, there are notes. Yeah, just, like, go back there, look for some cough syrup, and then stand facing a corner of diapers and tampons and just cry. <laughs> what the fuck is with your lives? Street crime. The last time I did, um, I got cat and I was just sort of like, Walking down the street silently laughing. <laughs> Maybe now is not a good time <laughs> <laughs> to comment on my ass. Good day. MK, please write a death pic. Oh my god, I hate all of you so much. <laughs> no, I actually, I, I, that actually like really pissed me off and made me angry and stopped crying for a little bit. So, like, thanks for this terrible stranger. Like, fuck you and everything that, you know. Whatever. <laughs> um, right. So, <laughs> you need crying in New York places, but it doesn't happen to you. It was a bad crying just experience. Stop. Just don't understand. You're lying. Broadest <laughs> between 93rd and 97th. <laughs> okay. I'm going to wreck a fic called Play It Again. The premise is that at some point during Teen Wolf canon, Derek has given Styles this necklace. He's like, whatever, if you're in, like, a bad situation, this will help you out. And Styles is, like, attacked by Peter, who's trying to murder him while he's driving his car. And he's in a car crash, and he, like, grabs the necklace. And the next thing he knows, he's waking up in a hospital, and everything is wrong. 
Like, he's not friends with Scott. All of the Hales are alive. But, like, some of the same shit is starting to happen. And he realizes that whatever this thing is, it has taken him basically into a parallel universe. All of his friends in the old universe are dead. He can never see them again. Uh, the only reason that he's in this universe is because the Styles that was in this universe was dying in a car crash. And, like, the instant that that Styles died, he took his body. So he's like... This isn't really my dad, but I still love him, but I feel like an imposter. Um, it's actually a remarkably upbeat story. We're like... (laughs) 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 I know that sounds awful, but, like, I'm wrecking it, and I hate character death. Essentially, Styles manages to save a lot of the Hales and, like, you know, build a relationship with this other sheriff after telling him, like, I'm not really your son. And, um, Styles is also kind of a sociopath in it, which I really identified with. The end. Okay, I'm going to save you from yourself by giving people my recs now. Um, mine both come from that great, uh, death denial fandom, Avengers. <laughs> um, my first one is a story called 1098 Car by Polly Repeat. Um, it is a classic Groundhog's Day story written from um, the point of view of Clint Barton, where he wakes up on a terrible fucking Friday morning to the song Friday, which Tony Stark has programmed into his goddamn phone, and finds out 12 hours later that Phil Coulson has been found dead in some alley in the middle of Eastern Europe. And he keeps cycling through this day and trying to come up with ways to save Phil, and it keeps failing. Um, The particular recommendation I'm going to make the story is really brilliant. It's funny and it's really heartrending, but it's also one of those ones where you know it's going to hurt, but it's it's going to end okay, guys. It's going to be fine. Um, I'm particularly recommending 1098 Car by Polly Repeat as read by Appalant. There's a fanta- this is a fantastic, fantastic podfic of the story, and it's read really well. She performs it fantastically. She has hilarious sound effects throughout this story. So if you ever really felt like in your life what you needed was an Avengers fanfic that fully clips out, like the Friday song by Rebecca Black in your life, this is something that you need to download and check out. Like, I keep it on my phone. It's one of my favorites. Everyone should give it a shot. Um... My other recommendation is a story called Words May Fail, The Body Remains by Lady Flodi. Um, it is a story that I feel was written immediately in the aftermath of the movie before we got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's specifically about, it's the long, long, long story of how Coulson and Clint got together and how Clint handles Coulson's death. Spoilers, not well. Um, And it's one of those stories that plays you expertly because it brings you to your absolute most crushed, heartbroken place. And then when you feel like you're about to break and the dam is about to fall and you're about to cry, it does that thing where it makes you so happy that you cry anyway, but it's like tears of joy. It is, it's like a really, it's a really good story of what you're looking for is the emotional drop and the absolute narcotic high of having been swept out of like danger. I love this story a lot. I would also second that recommendation as someone who read like all of the Clint Coles graphic in the wake of the movie. Like that is definitely one of the better ones. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So everyone give those a shot. Um, and I think that must, absolutely must wrap this up for this week. <laughs> this has to stop. Can we kill this episode? <laughs> don't worry. We'll cut out like 40 minutes of, minutes of this. So you guys don't <laughs> listen to the full three hour. You're like wrong. God damn better. <laughs> I have to go home. It's going to take forever. Yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for sending along your death related questions. It was a blast. Thank you, um, you know, Mare and Waldorf for hanging out with us tonight, talking about killing stuff and things. Anytime. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, to all our listeners, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye. sitting on oh it's a dildo <laughs> no surprisingly i'm gonna level with you there's a, <laughs> a vibrator in there <laughs> you'd, like, be, you'd be like a children's book version of like the dumbest terror yeah. <laughs> you would be like the amelia bedelia of suicide bombers good <laughs> never allowed to have my knee again <laughs> okay good i'm gonna that's going in the outtakes p.s <laughs>